0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.
1: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? You got it. I'm ready. Merry Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it, with Jimmy Duresta, let's talk about a little bit of business. What do you say, huh? Go for it. First things first, Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the two by seventy-two grinder. This is an incredible grinder. It's made for knife makers, metal workers, woodworkers. You know, you name it, sculptors. I just talked to Leah Arapot. She's using her uh, Broadbeck Ironworks to make her beautiful sculptures. And mm. if you go to broadbeckironworks.com, you put in the promo code Knife Talk two hundred, get two hundred dollars off. Any of the grinder packages and if you put in knife talk 100 you'll get a hundred dollars off all the sharpening systems and surface grinders and sewing machines it's a great grinder and these guys are awesome i've known these guys for quite a long time vince and ryan are awesome and i appreciate their service i appreciate their time i appreciate their energy Broadbeck and ironworks thank you very much next awesome. is even heat even heat are the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available to get your next heat treat oven go check it out at evenheat-kiln.com and let me tell you the even heat guys are the best and i love my even heat i use it for hardening knives i use it for hammers you can you can if you're a ceramicist you can use it for ceramics i have that
2: you guess what you do jimmy i have a ceramic and i have two knife treating ovens from them they're great guys
1: Spence and the gang, it's a small family in uh, Michigan. They are awesome. And if you have any questions, everybody who answers the phone knows everything about that, that piece of equipment. It's unbelievable. I've taken every screw out, changed all the computers. It's fantastic. So go check out your Even Heat at evenheat-kill.com. And if you go to Knife Talk, they have a discount they have a discount on on shipping and free in the United States and $75 off so go check it out over there at Knife Talk so blah 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 next is Axe Wax Axe Wax all natural food safe wax for your axe or your wood or your steel or your stainless or your Damascus or your carbon it's great stuff and if you go to axewax.us put in promo code fullblast10 you'll get 10% off all of your food safe Axe Wax Mm. P.S. go get yourself a sweatshirt the sweatshirts are real nice too and if you are in the UK go to UK knife supplies. He's taking full blast 10. If you're in the EU, Keith Colby over at knifematerial.at. He's taking full blast 10. If you're in Australia, Gamaco's taking full blast 10 and if you're in Australia as well, nordicedge.com.au is taking full blast 10 and next year we're going to be doing something special with nordicedge.com. I appreciate you Sausage Man Forge for hooking me up. We're with you. So go get yourself some of that axe wax and stop playing around. It's a, why why play around? That's what I say. Next is Maritime Knife Supply, MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca. They are have all your knife making needs: belts, abrasive steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, and were, ev- were they at Maker Camp? The, uh, Lawrence, Lamp, Lawrence Lake was at Maker Camp. He sure okay. was.
2: I met him. He's nice a guy.
1: he's a great guy, and yeah. he has everything you're gonna need. Even if you're not in Canada, and you say to yourself, "Well, why would I? I'm in Tennessee. What would I need it from Canada for?" It's just as fast, if not faster, than anywhere else in the United States. So go get yourself some of that maritime knife supply. Mm-hmm. And anytime time I mention what he doesn't have, he'll send me a message saying, "I have that brooches and, if, if uh, you know, like uh, Rockwell chisels, all that stuff." So go get yourself some of that, and get yourself, guys, if you're a knife maker, go get yourself Dr. Larry Thomas's must-have book, Knife Engineering. Okay. Thank you, Maritime Knife Supply. Oh, by the way, get ten. You get if you get a pack of ten belts, you're gonna get. We're gonna get ten percent off. So go get yourself some of that. Go get yourself. Go get yourself some of that Maritime Knife Supply. Huh? Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. Next is. Oh boy. Tro- uh, we're almost there. We're almost there, my man. We're almost there, Jim. <laughs> trojan Horse Forge, guys. They are the makers of the best knife finishing vice on the market, the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice. If you're hand sanding, if you're working on handles, whatever it takes, whatever you got, these guys are making a great fin- hand knife finishing vice and made of the heart of Texas. And if you go to trojan- TrojanHorseForge.com, Put in the promo code Full Blast. you're going to get free shipping in the United States. And they have payment options. They have stuff available. Every so often they sell out. And then they get, you got to find out what, they're, what they got. But it is the best uh, knife finishing vice if you're a knife maker. So Trojan Horse Forge, Derchi, it was great to see you. You're the man. I'm with you, 100%. And last but not least, Total mm. Boat. Oh, Total yeah. Boat are the makers of adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds for boaters and DIYers. They understand the needs of your projects to go smoothly. They used to make boats. or They had products for people to f- make sure that their boats don't float. Their I'm boats making don't a boat sink.
2: right now with Total Boat products.
1: You're making it. Jimmy's making, he's using Total Boat. I've used Total Boat for handle scales. I've been using their two-part epoxy. I love, love, love their UV cure resin. And it, their thick set, a casting epoxy is awesome. And guys like Keith Deese and Derek from and Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, every Keith in the maker community is using that Total Boat. And if you go to full full blast, if you go to totalboat.com, put in the promo code fullblast Ten, you're gonna get ten percent off all your Total Boat. And if you have animals, they're dead and mummified, and you does don't know it? what to do with them. Give you, them my next guest, does he sticks them in blocks of two part epoxy for the for the apocalypse? Jimmy Doresta, <laughs> what is going on with your Dead gophers. You're sticking them in the the two-part epoxy.
2: What's up, dude? Yeah, thanks for having me back. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I just saw that gopher the other day. I was up at Total Boat. They had a Christmas get-together where we made a little Christmas scene using Total Boat products. And sitting there on the side was that big chunk of resin that I put that dead gopher in.
1: I've been using that bit for the last two months. That, I've, I've uh,
2: heard you talking
1: about it. I, it's my, it's my, you know, I like doing ad reads because it reminds me of the radio, but it also gets my my blood pumping. Yeah. And and my favorite thing has been the, the total boat reads because I'm like, hey, you got some dead animals, just shove it in. Do what Jimmy does. He's sticking all the dead <laughs> animals in the total boat, and people like it, so.
2: I'm glad I'm getting that reputation because I think that's kind of cool, you know? I, I follow a couple of these guys online where they, they collect human skulls, like ancient human skulls, nothing new. But even stuff from like the 1700s when the medical business was really starting, these guys collect all these these things and uh, oddities. And the other day, one of these guys I follow, I wish I could remember their names. I don't know any of their names. But, you, you know, you follow one and they suggest right. 10 more. <clears throat> and they all know each other, it seems. The guy had a mummified cat looks like something that was found under a house, but it was in really, really good condition. And it was in a sitting position, which was bizarre. I'm like, man, that would look cool in a chunk of resin. Whoa. But, but I, I didn't hit him up. I mean, things probably a couple thousand dollars because it was such a good good specimen. And, and, and that's the type of specimen that I probably wouldn't want to put it in epoxy. It's just so nice. You know, It goes under a glass jar.
1: Do you have um, a lot of oddities?
2: I do you know um I'm recently single I've been in a relationship for twelve years, and so all my oddities have kind of gotten put into the garage and in storage, and I'm slowly pulling them out because I want my house to be like a like a curio cabinet full of weird crazy shit, and I'm slowly pulling out my 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 oddities as a matter of fact, I told rob Rob Rojas my part time assistant. I said, Rob, uh, let's make room. Pull out my uh, Victorian era body bag. We want to put it in the house. So I'm going to pull that out of storage. I have a Victorian era body bag, which is a, a wicker casket with a lid with handles on each short end. And the specific reason for that is so that you can carry grandma down from upstairs through the house, down the stairwell, with somebody oh. at each short end. And so I'm going to bring that back and put that and hang that up in the house somewhere.
1: Wow. You have a lot. You,
2: you Fun have. Stuff. You
1: have a lot of like. There's a macabre thing, macabre, macabre thing going on with you a little bit. A
2: little bit, absolutely. I just sold my my hearse. I had a 1957 hearse.
1: I, you sold it?
2: I sold it because the price was too too hard to ignore, and right. th- it needed a lot of work. It's like you know when you get these beautiful. It was a beautiful car, beautiful condition, but it hadn't been driven in years and years. Like it'd been sitting in storage for 20 years. I mean, I think the guy that I bought it from has owned it for 12 or 13 years, and in that 12 or 13 years, he never drove it. And then he bought it from a guy where it sat since 1985, and he never drove it. So every time I started it up, it sprung a new leak or something else broke. Although it was in perfect condition, it just needed lots of TLC, and the opportunity came to sell it, so I was able to double my money on it. Wow. You know, the, good, love- thing, the good thing is like what we do, you could just go out and buy another wacky, crazy thing. Well,
1: I love that. I love one of the, a couple of things about that hearse I loved so much. One is the siren. The yeah. siren was incredible.
2: <laughs> That's funny, yeah.
1: And then the other thing was how there was this I remember you did a video where there we open the back it was it was like some sort of you could put in a coffin but you could also put in a stretcher. Like there yes, was Yes, some... there was.
2: It came with a stretcher and a small coffin. Like it came with a child-sized coffin but a stretcher. And the stretcher had this kind of nineteen it was all fifties era so fifties sixties era stretcher with with a small little thin mat on it with with a bed sheet that had stains on it uh. so, <laughs> I know, and the whole thing smelled like the inside of a preparation room it smelled definitely like formaldehyde. The car itself was it was a, called a it was called a combo nineteen fifty seven combo before there were ambulances full time that were dedicated to just picking up and dropping off sick people that may or may not have died in the back. They use hearses. So that's why hearses were – you see them in the background of a lot of old movies because a hearse was used as an ambulance.
1: Yeah, you don't see a lot of hearses these days. At least – the only times you see hearses are like the beginnings of a funeral, like a funeral procession.
2: Yeah, they're much more – like <clears throat> uh, recently I made a casket for a friend last summer and uh, she knew she was terminally ill, so she asked me to make her her casket Whoa. years ago before she – few years ago when she was first diagnosed. So I did that of course, but while I was at when she finally died in the summer. I I got the casket over to the to the mortuary down in Terrytown near you and while I was there, I watched them prepare and take out a couple of uh, clients. And They just had like a little minivan, nondescript minivan. No, you know, no ceremonial yeah. loops on the side, no half landau black vinyl top, just like a minivan that you would, you know, deliver car parts in. But you know that, that's that must goes. have been a
1: heavy thing making a coffin for a friend.
2: It was. It definitely was. You know, when I was asked, I said right away. My impulse was to be like, "No, that's." Yeah. I, I first said, "I go, that's got to be. It can't even. It's probably not even legal." And they did some research. The family did some research and got back to me and said, "No, it's it's totally acceptable." And I was like, <sighs> "Okay, I'll do it." Wow. Yeah, it was tough, but it, you know, it. I, I felt. It was a blessing to be asked to do it. You know, I'm not a religious person, but the idea that I have the opportunity to do it and this person had the opportunity to choose, I said, I have to do it. It's a huge honor. It it is. It is. And a lot of people reminded me of that when I was first thinking it through. I mean, it didn't take me long to think it through. I just.
1: And if you want to go macabre and and a little bit more like, you know, funny, funny but not funny, when my father died, uh, we were kind of helping put together uh, stuff for the funeral, and my sister and I were there, and my dad's wife, who frankly didn't like us at all, um, <laughs> she was like, "Well, we we don't what, what should we put with him in the in the coffin and stuff like that." And we found a small. My dad used to make model boats in his office. Like he had an office where the, you would have liked this office. It was like he had um, it was like a swivel chair. And one side was he was a la- he would do, you know, paperwork and landlord stuff. And then he'd right. turn it around and he'd have these model boats. But the model boats were the ones that are like plank by plank with tiny nails and, you know. Oh, yeah. It were these monstrous, giant, I mean, museum quality boats. So it was a joke because it was just like, you know, what kind of office is this? It was like half and half. That's so really we-
2: cool, though. Like the guys that can do that, like if your dad did that, that's, that's such a meticulous beautiful it's, craft it's bizarre because he was it's,
1: a painter yeah. it was he was a really extraordinary painter so it was bizarre to me that he wanted to do these models like that to me i could never comprehend like he wanted to make something that somebody else kind of designed and right. they, he would go he would travel the world and then he would get these models from like italy and he'd pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these, but these are, i'm more.
2: assuming these are models where you as the for instance, I make I made a canoe, now I'm making a rowboat and when I say, Oh yeah, I got the plans or the kit from Bear Mountain Boats, people are like, Oh, it's a kit? I'm like, Well, that's just a misnomer because it's a roll of paper that shows you how to make it and then you gotta go and mill all the wood yourself. Or if you do buy the wood from them, it's just milled wood. It's not like connect A to B like a plastic model kit. Well, it, so I imagine your dad's boat kits were the same thing.
1: It was it was wooden strips. And then yeah. he would have to nail in every strip. And,
2: so I'm saying they got you started, but they there's were lots of craft that had to go. Oh, into it
1: was it. insane. It was insane. But so when we were kind of getting himself to get, you know, getting stuff together, I said, well, you know, we should have his, you know, we should have one of his little hammers. He uses the little nails, so we they stuck that in his, you know, shirt pocket. And then I said, he's a, you know, he's a painter, so I have to have a paintbrush in there. Yeah. And then my sister had done a painting of um, their dog. And my stepmother, former stepmother, said, well, we should put this painting in to remind him of the dog. And I was like, I said to my sister after, I was like, wasn't that a nice thing to do? And she goes, no, it wasn't a nice thing to do. And I said, what do you mean it wasn't a nice thing to do? She's like, that's like throwing it in the garbage can. She didn't want to see it anymore. She didn't want to see that painting anymore. <laughs> it was like throwing it in the garbage can. And I thought, I laughed so hard. I thought, we're never going to see it. She threw it in the garbage can. Oh, That's funny. I, I think that's funny.
2: You know, it's weird. Uh, you know, it's it's really strange when somebody dies. You got to just like give people their room, right? Oh, yeah. You know, when somebody passes away, the most closest person to the person that's dead is is almost like a guard dog, right? Next to somebody that's been killed, say for instance, like in the field, you know, that person is the guard dog. Like yeah. they have the end all, say all, and sometimes what the decisions they make aren't always rational and you just no. have to, you know you have to be like okay okay this is your wow. time for everybody but since you're the most closest per- whether it's a wife or you know for me my when my stepmother passed away and my you know my dad was that person and uh, he made normal decisions rational decisions but sometimes you see family members that don't Ugh.
1: let's get on with it we're in, this is christmas time Christmas time, the end of the year.
2: So I keep muting to cough. I hope that doesn't go interrupt ahead, it. dude.
0: You can do whatever
1: you want. You can cough on whatever. You're a, you're a professional. I know you're a podcast. Your congratulations, by the way, on your Emmy, the Emmy oh, for we got an uh, Emmy
2: for that TV show we did. I forgot
1: making fun, editing.
2: I edit. Well, who cares, dude, What do you gotta give? What?
1: What, you got to well, give all the answers? You, gotta, you got an Emmy. <laughs> Emmy's an Emmy, right?
2: <laughs> well, people think I was awarded the Emmy. So a lot of people are congratulating oh. me. They're like, can I see it? I'm like, no, it was, given to the, it was given to the editors. But to our credit, if you saw the little clip that was going around online, the editor said, thank you to the cast for giving us good stuff to play with. And I'll tell a little story. The little clip that's gone around online, it might have been, you know, some of the guys might have it permanently posted. You can go and look for it. There was a clip where it showed... Us on set, and I pretended to do the magic finger where I draw in space. And so they said, Thank you to the cast for giving us good material. And then it goes to this clip. This was all on the Emmy ceremony. And in the cast, in the, in the clip, I use my magic finger to draw in space. I totally improvised that whole concept. And we did it three or four times throughout the season. So I improvised it, and it was to my credit. I'm just patting myself on the Go back. Ahead. I don't know if you can't hear it, but uh, it was fun. I just improvised it in space. And the editors and the post-production team drew all the lines in my fingers, and they did a beautiful job. They took what I came up with. They could have just trashed that whole clip and not even used it. The scene still would have worked. But, you know, I just improvised it, and they used it. And me and Derek had a little interaction with Derek. goes, let me try. I'm like, it doesn't work on you. He goes, no, 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 let me try it. And I handed it to him, and they did this post-production where like, the light on my fingertip, like E.T. I gave it to Derek, and it just burnt out like a candle. Somebody blew the candle oh, out. Oh, it's it was, funny. It was so funny. That's in the se- series if you watch Making Fun was a great show because I
1: I think that editing was so crucial because from what I, talking to you and talking to Derek from Alden, if you haven't watched uh, Making Fun, it's on Netflix season one, it it really was, it could have gone any way. I mean, they really did create something through the editing that was really very, very different than I would imagine you thought it was going to be.
2: Well, Mike, Mike, the producer, we always we always give Mike the credit because Mike really had the vision, and Mike found a guy, uh, something Quinn, uh, Peter Quinn, I think is his name. He's on Instagram. If you look him up, that's his name, Peter Quinn. If you look him up, he does amazing transitions, and Mike found him on Instagram and just said, "You're going to be my transition guy." And Mike went through his Instagram and picked like seven or eight things, and like we re we re- we recreated these transitions that Peter came up with, and we gave them, Mike set it all up, You know, green screen. He's like, okay, I want you guys to all lay down like you're being pulled out of a drawer, like utensils in a drawer. Like yeah. Mike imagined all these scenarios and we went through them. Like if we had a shoot day and then we had to wait for something to dry, Mike's like, all right, l- let's, do some, let's do some transitions. And then he would pull us outside and he's like, okay, in this transition, your head's gonna explode like a balloon. So just react like a balloon just popped. And there was a funny one where I stepped over the building like I, oh, yeah, we do, yeah, we shoot where there's no building and then we shoot where there is, where I'm stepping over and it looks like I'm walking from behind the building. It's all done in camera pretty much. It's pretty crazy, but I couldn't lift my little leg high enough to go over the vision of the building. Mike just kept going, you got to go get lifted like a little higher because <laughs> I'm like a robot. I always joke. I'm like the Tin Man from, from the Wizard of Oz because I need my, my joints are all rusty, especially now at my age. So did I was funny. Did you enjoy doing that show? I did, you know, like we were all a bit curmudgeon-y because it's just it's like do that again, Exhausting. do this, and, and you know, and, and you're with like a super woke crowd of people, all f- mostly from L.A., and every morning we got to get swab for COVID, and and it, it just seemed kind of more ceremonious than actual, really making sure we were all, and like we're, I never did it. They have to, like, I'd literally walk out of my house, walk right past the COVID tent. They'd be like, Jimmy, 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 come in. I'm like, yeah, I'll be right back. And I'd go to set, and then we do the morning meeting, and the girls would walk up and swab my nose while, while we were talking. I always ignored them. But uh, that, that stuff was a little annoying, but you know what? Yeah. That's part of life. I mean, we had a wonderful opportunity that is so rare in this world that we're in, this entertainment world so we we all really cherished that that summer. It was a great, great summer, so. see
1: I, I would I was like my, my real question was because it was at your farm and because you had all these people on your property, and mm-hmm. it was such a i mean, I did one thing for one day, and by the end of the day, I was just like, "You've got to get me out of here. This doesn't yeah. interest me at all. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine that being I wonder if it was if it was not at your place if you'd enjoy it more.
2: Well, I did, I did making it. I did three seasons of making it on NBC, and each one of those seasons was about a month long, pretty intense every day, like 7 a.m. to like 7 p.m. every day. And that was a lot of fun for me, too, because I was on the Universal set. And any time in between, I'd just hop on a golf cart and go get lost, and like right. I'd, be on, I'd be on the set of – I was on the set of Psycho, the original Psycho House. Wow. I was on the set of some airplane crash movie. And, and like part of, this, so part of these displays are still being viewed by people that drive through on the, uh, on the tour. So the airplane crash set – even though I was there when it was closed, was still smoking like they have like these things that hiss like as if the plane just finished crashing, you know. So it's pretty intense. It's really intense being like having the opportunity to see the inside of some of this stuff, you know, walking on the set of like John Wayne movies that haven't been shot. But because it's in L.A. and the air and the weather is so good, everything's still preserved. Like it, you know, even though it was made in the '50s, it still looks like it was made, you know, recently. Do you like L.A.? No, not at all. <laughs>
1: I heard I heard somebody quote the difference between New York and LA is New York is hell New York is a gr a, a hell that you want to be at and LA is a heaven you no one wants to go to
2: well it's 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 exactly the old quote. it's like when a New Yorker says fuck you they're basically saying hi how are you I like you right and when an LA person says oh hi how are you they're basically saying fuck you I can't stand you <laughs>
1: Well, that's my kid just got to college, and that's where she's going to be going. So, yeah. it's uh, I have to I have to I have to prepare myself as a as a staunch New Yorker to deal with uh, cal- no, a California child. You're
2: you're a straight up New Yorker. I know you went to school all through your life in New York, and you grew up in New York, and you you know your friends and you you socialize in New York, and so did I. And I think true New Yorkers are just no bullshit. Like here's is an example: a guy walked in my shop last night, and he just goes. I just came here to, he just walked in the door. because I just came here to see what you do. I instantly got into a conversation with him. I didn't be like, who sent you? Yeah. Wh- who told? I just said, you know what? I'll find that out as we talk. I'll watch his hands. If he has a knife in his hands, I'll hit him with a hammer. I just, <laughs> you know, it's like, we just went right into it. But if you walked onto somebody's place in LA, you'd be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Who are you? And who sent you? Like, you needed all this information up front. Like, we'll find that out as we get through this conversation. And if I don't like him, I'll just say, you know what, dude? I got to take a phone call. You have to leave. I'll make up some bullshit excuse to get rid of them. But in LA, like you talk to somebody and they're just like, Oh, Oh, that's, is it, did that happen? Or are you being sarcastic? I'm like, no, I'm being fucking sarcastic. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I get it. Okay. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I'm like, forget it. So do you think you'll do a second season? I don't know. Honestly, uh, one of our fans, Chad from ManCrafting, I know Chad put, from
1: put, ManCrafting.
2: Chad made this signature thing last night to sign, you know, it, like Derek called me he's like dude who made this I go I don't even know I said Chad just reposted it but so I texted Chad I said Chad who made this he goes I did and I said oh, alright well thank you very much it's an honor that you would put forth that effort but it's not gonna mean anything these guys don't you think Netflix gives a shit if they gave a shit they would do season 2 already <laughs> I was I was all, you
1: know I saw that I saw. This. Chad is the best I know Chad Chad is a Chad's a great dude I make fun of Chad um, but I love Chad is a good dude I Man, like Chad very much
2: KLS they're like a giant <laughs> breathing fucking industrialized robot with no conscience they don't give a fuck about what we've done
1: <laughs> I would I would just assume I, in my mind I'm thinking well if someone's doing a petition to get it it really comes down to if Jimmy wants to do it again that's really what it comes I mean, down honestly, to honestly
2: I would do it I think all of us would do it but going back into a season 2 not only do they have to want to do it which is right now no but we would all have to want to do it for the new negotiated fee because we all went into it for a fee that was like, all right, let's get into the startup fee. I got paid the most only because I had the most experience. I had an agent, and I also owned the property. So right. I got rent, and I had the the power of you know several experiences with this TV business behind me to, to know. But it gets to a point. No matter who you are, it gets to a negotiation where they just say, that's it. You're not getting any more money. I don't care how much you ask for it. If you want to do it for more money and you don't want to do it, then we won't do it. You know that's how every negotiation goes. But I mean, the the
1: reviews were good. The show was fun. You had a great. You had. I mean, you had a really great. I mean, the like I said, the reviews are great. People like the show. I would think. And if you get an Emmy, I would think that Netflix would be like, all right, well, let's do another season.
2: It, it might happen, but right now no one's calling us to say block right. out some time. You know, that right. that would be the big indicator. It's like, what are you doing next year from April to July? You know, no one said that. And when we start getting those type of questions, that's when it's like, okay, let's go into a negotiation. But um, I'll tell you what, th- a lot of people say the show is so much fun. Why didn't it get through? And then the reason why— didn't why, get what? Why, why didn't get it, Why didn't it get season two? I meant to say—I said get through, but okay. I meant to say why didn't we get a season two? The reason we didn't get a season two, and this is what we've been told, is that the show didn't get binged like they're expecting a show to get binged. Like, we got millions of views on the first, like, three episodes, but then it would die down. And this was all, by the way, done weeks after the show debuted. So all that analytics is done by a computer within a month and a half of the show's airing. And if we got the same amount of views from episode one as we got all the way through to episode eight... No doubt about it, we'd have a we'd have a season two, but it's like a huge start. Episode one gets millions of views. Episode two gets a little less than f- that many, and so on until it gets down to the last episode of the eight series gets the least amount of views. So if it was like a block of all of them getting completely binged at every seating, that's when you have a runaway hit. But to Derek's credit, Derek goes, "It's a show for kids. What parent is going to let their kids sit and binge?" All eight episodes of a one-hour long show good point and Real good like, point that's it but we don't have the opportunity to talk to them and say that and so that being said so imagine like now months go by and recently on Twitter about a month ago on Twitter month and a half ago there was this whole conversation on Twitter about Netflix algorithm choosing what gets a season two and what doesn't and there was an internal conflict you could look this up if anybody still gives a shit there was an internal conflict where part of the executive team was saying, let's go with a gut feeling. And the other part was like, no, it has to be done by the computer anal- analytics. And I think we fell victim to the computer analytics where everybody says in the business, now this is what we hear from the executives on the show, all, of our, all the creative executives on our side of the fence that we can get into conversations right. with, they all said, every meeting I've been to since we've done this show, the first five minutes of every meeting is wow, I can't believe how much fun that show is. I can't believe there's not another season. So there's a gut instinct where if we did a second season, I'm sure we'd be able to develop the marketing and get the show back under you know, legs under the show. But I think we fell victim to this computer analytics which looks through and's like, does the mathematical equation of the show technically isn't gonna be a hit. There's to a couple- like the you know, the the Medieval Winter Show. I don't even know what the fuck it's called. That was on HBO that everybody liked. Medieval Winter Show. That's all I keep remembering it's called.
1: Is it... Is it is knife it, of Thrones? Knife Game of not I don't... I don't Game, of know, I should, Game of Thrones. I should... Yeah. Game of Thrones. I should have known that because I'm a knife guy, but I could care less. But, but I'm
2: saying, like, you know, like, they're looking for that type of show every single time. And, you know, not every show is going to be a Game of Thrones runaway hit and that's the problem is like everyone just they just keep weeding through and in the process they're just like starting and stall, stalling hundreds of people's careers in the way like i mean okay we're the cast we're the people but there's 30 people on that show that right. was all psyched to do more episodes and everyone's like man this show's so much fun we're gonna have like five episodes five seasons of the show all the sound guys the camera guys everybody who's all you know all their careers are as important as our career and the you know as even though we're on camera everyone's career is just as important and not only did we not get a second season, all of them didn't get a second season. Right. So they all have to go back to the drawing board and just put out their availabilities and get something else. So,
1: so if, if you mind me, I don't know at all. I can't understand. I can understand like TV shows on networks where ratings gives you better analytics towards your advertising. Advertising. How does a streaming service like Netflix make money off a series?
2: I think it's just uh, it's just strictly subscriptions, but then they also own the show. So let's say everything changes, like it always does anyway. They're going to own all these shows. They could license them to an airline. They could license them to anybody, any uh, any place. Hmm. They could license them to Roku. You know, so they own all these. So they're sitting on like hundreds and hundreds of entertainment properties, thousands of entertainment properties that they could do whatever they want with. Say Netflix goes out of favor, just like. Maybe uh, Blockbuster did for some other reason. And now they own all these entertainment properties that just literally only live on their service right now. They own all those. And they could, you know, so they're sitting on lots and lots of potential income with all the properties that they own. This is just my gut instinct. No one's taught me this, but... Um, when you look at it, and like everyone's like, "Well, buy the show back and let's air it something like that's not possible." They would never give it up. It's the same reason why, like, you know, the, cra- the crotchety old man in the Upper West Side owns like ten empty lots. You're like, "Dude, can I have one of those?" He's like, "Nope, I'm just sitting on it. It's just it's going to be worth something to my kids one day, or my grandkids." Hmm. You know, so each one of those entertainment properties is like a piece of property. Like, even though they have no interest in it, they have no interest in doing season two. They don't care right now. They don't. They would never give it up because it could be something down the road in a package deal.
1: Right. Well, what's what's interesting is is the win at uh, the timing of everything. Mm-hmm. The if you look at the way i was talking to a couple of friends of mine in the entertainment industry in terms of uh people working on on sets during the beginning of the pandemic, my buddy Nico was on oh, that yeah, Nico's uh,
2: cool. I like ne- Nico.
1: Dude, Nico's been on I mean, he's on some motherfuckers right now. He's on Joker 2. I'm just saying it oh. because he's on Joker 2 because they, they posted a picture one of his pictures and he was on a fucking monster movie before not when i say monster movie not a i can't Huge. talk about it but he was yeah. on a fucking monster not too long ago i, I want to get him on your bad. i want to choke him a little bit but he was <laughs> on that leonardo dicaprio that first netflix show that was the first movie to come out during the pandemic um where there was about the the asteroid coming to earth it was oh, don't, don't look know. everybody with uh jennifer lawrence and it was don't look up something like that uh-huh. And he ta- he was when he was talking about the filming. He was in the beginning of the. It was the first year of the pandemic. He got off GI Joe Snake Eyes from Japan right before they closed the border, and then he got a job on this thing that, I guess it was that fall, right. on this. And it was like he said that it was like millions and millions of dollars for all the COVID testing. He says the problem is. I was now, at
2: NBC during all that. Yeah, season two and season three.
1: Well he what he was saying was was the amount of money and I was talking to Josh Radner for Josh Radner, uh, the actor, he had said that during the pandemic it was thirty percent of the cost of making a movie was gonna go into
2: uh, to clarify, uh, only season three of making it was was in COVID. I'm just remembering now. Yeah, only season three. But yeah, it was every single day with the thing up the nose and everybody. You but
1: know, the, I mean, the amount of money it costs oh, yeah. was like astronomical. So you'd think that in the beginning, you'd think these streaming services are going to push, push, push to have new content out because everyone's at home, and then now that it's gone away, it seems as though they're like they have so many back projects mm. that they're like maybe that they're like you know, cooling their jets in regards to green lighting, a lot of stuff.
2: Well, I'll tell you, the other thing that, that kicked us in the ass was the soon as our show aired in March of 22, it was like the end of March 22 when they announced that we just lost a quarter of a million subscribers. They just wanted their money back and that's going to, and by the next quarter, we're going to probably lose another million, but that's not so bad because, you know, we still have whatever, 50 million subscribers. And so they had a backpedal and. According to some rumors I heard, some high-profile projects were just stopped right in the middle. We're lucky that we even got to air because if the timing was right where that subscription brouhaha kicked up in the middle of the summer of 2021, they probably would have just said, don't even finish editing the show. It doesn't matter. Wow. We're not going to air it because everything sucks. we got to tighten our belt. But, you know, who knows? That money was already allotted to that. So I, I don't know. I, just timing is everything. It's just unfortunate.
1: There's a little bit too much luck involved in all these things. There's I mean, so
2: much luck involved in TV the, business. The, the, crazy.
1: For a guy like – see, but it's, it's interesting for makers. You know, going into makers, knife makers, blacksmith makers, anything.
0: Everything
1: really revolves around you and your – you know, your time and your energy and the materials and then your, your ideas and then your own discipline. So there's no like outside things, whether or not you can make something like the boat you're working on now, there's Mm -hmm. no real outside forces, whether or not you're going to be able to finish it or not. So I would imagine for a guy like you, that whole Hollywood thing is incredibly frustrating.
2: No, you know what it is? It's just like I, I go into it, and then I just don't take it all that serious. But I'm 100% there on time, always on time, always deliver the best I possibly can. But in my heart of hearts, I don't take it that serious. Like Derek kept saying to me, aren't you excited? I'm like, no, I'm excited. He's like, you don't seem excited. I'm like, no, I'm very excited. He's like, the show's going to air soon. Aren't you excited? I'm like, yeah, I'm very excited. He's like, you don't seem excited. I'm like, no, I'm excited. But the point I'm making is is like I through. All the TV experiences and now making fun was probably, I kind of lost count, like the seventh or the sixth television series I was involved in. And it just gets to a point where like there has to be like 700 people that care about it the way you do for it to work. <sighs> and, and then as you're going through it, you realize like you see like the cameraman booking another job and you're like, well, he's really got to move on. And then, you know, you, hit, you see the director is like, all right, everyone take a break. And he's got to take a phone call. There's nothing to do with your show. And you're like, wait a minute. Isn't this your world? And, uh, you know, that's happened. You see, like, the director and the writers, like, having a powwow about something that has nothing to do with this show, nothing to do with next summer. And you're like, wait, wait, are you going you gonna to go do a show with Jason Bateman? Wait, what about what about our show? You know, <sighs> so you become desensitized. And it's just, I did. I know the, the other cast that was, you know, I love those guys to death. We really bonded. But it was their first experience. So it was heartbreaking for all of us collectively, no doubt, that we didn't do a season two. But it was especially heartbreaking for those guys because... They stepped into this and, and it's 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 hard not to fall in love with the idea of like just having fun, getting paid well and just goofing off and, you know, with the hope. Like it was funny, I I, I gave my address out or something and one of the guys on the, the production team was like, dude, what's wrong with you? Your house is going to be mobbed next year. You don't understand. There's going to be like lines of people down the street. I'm like, I I really doubt it. <laughs> there was no lines of people down my street. But
1: you know, talking to, back to Nico Tavernisi, when he he's been working on sets for so long, what he says is the best part about working on sets is, you know, you end up working with people that you know, and three quarters of the maybe halfway through the filming, everyone's looking for the next gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and they're all networking. What are you working on? What are you here? What? Are, and yeah. they're all halfway through. The first half, first quarter, they're getting their everything, getting figuring
2: it all out. And then halfway through, they're already trying to figure out that next job. I'll tell you what, what's sad thing on the set and like everybody realizes it. You work intense, 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 right up to the very last minute. And then once you get your martini, the last shot of the season, that's it. All right, everybody. Everyone just walks away. There might be a wrap party, which there was for us because we all, we had like a good you know production team right. that wanted to have a wrap party. And we had a really nice rap party. It was a really really beautiful night and uh then, whatever ten months later we had a kind of like a little like an impromptu get together for the airing and But that doesn't always happen. that almost never happens like so it just that's the end of it. like I never went to a rap party for making fun. uh sorry for making it the n b c show like the last day is the last day, and literally like as soon as like the last cut's done in the workshop, there are 10 guys there to take the whole set apart. Like it's not like we got the last shot, they snapped the board, that's it. And within 10 minutes they're taking the set apart. That's been set up for like 3 months for this event. It's the craziest thing.
1: It has to be. I would imagine it has to be cuz you know, you hear these things you talk you you know, you see these actors they're working together and they're having such a great time and then you ask them a little later if they're like Hang out afterwards, and like I haven't seen that person again <laughs> at since all. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: see that I don't hang. I don't know
1: this person at all. No. I don't
2: even remember who who it is. And like to be clear, like for instance, I work with Amy and Nick, and I know Nick since before Nick Offerman before we did right. the show, so I can message Nick. Amy, she was never on any CC. You know, I never was able to like send her. I don't not that I want to, but. I don't. I'm not friends with Amy Poehler. If I saw her, she'd be like, "Oh my god, Jimmy!" She likes my New York ac- accent, so she always jokes. She's like, "Hey, what's up, the rest of-? You know, she jokes at my New York accent. <laughs> but so she remembers me, but I can't pick up the phone and call. I wouldn't even know how. Like, I'd have to ask Nick to tell her a message, but I never would because that's kind of inappropriate. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, but I don't. I mean, I don't need to. But when it comes to like, for instance, Netflix, everyone's like, "Oh, why don't you tell Netflix?" I'm like, "Let <sighs> me make it clear to you. I never, ever once spoke to anybody that works at Netflix." Not once. Still never spoke to anybody at Netflix. They don't want to talk to the crazy talent. No. They don't, they don't want to know anything about you unless you're like a Nick Kaufman or – Right. I mean I can't think of a better example like Burt Reynolds or somebody that has a huge presence. career. Right. That, that would – they would be honored to meet you because they're meeting a celebrity. But I'm just a like a – youtuber that got lucky they don't want to they don't want to meet me they don't want to meet me and go oh remember that time in a conversation i told you about the show where there was the guys that make knives you're making a knife show now you guys should open you know they don't want that conversation to happen you know what i mean they don't they don't they just don't have meetings with you because they don't want somebody to misspoke and somebody to misspeak and somebody to think that they've owed money or somebody they're owed some credit so they don't speak to anybody about anything and i've never had a conversation with anybody if I have a concept for Netflix, I talk to the production company that I'm most closely related to at the moment, which changes all the time, and I'll say to those guys, "Hey, this is an idea. If you think it has legs, run with it." But I don't I don't do that really because it's just so it's such a, I'd rather spend that energy doing a next YouTube video for my channel where I'm satisfying a client's needs like Carolina shoes or total boat, you know, satisfying their needs because that's that's for me that's the relationship right now, that's the most important
1: speaking of ideas i was listening to your latest episode of making it the making It podcast there's a mm. couple of things i really loved about it oh one was i mean i love your podcast but one of the Thank things you. i loved about it was i love that conversation you guys had about um the times you've gotten fired i thought oh, that was yeah, yeah. i thought i thought i tell you what i thought that that was extraordinarily not a missed opportunity but like it was like i kind of was hoping there were going to be more stories about right you know these moments in your life, where you, you and you even said it, um, talking about a fork in the road. Yeah. And how you had, you had you'd gone to this job that this guy wasn't very nice to you, he docked you for whatever reason, okay. and then so you, I was always one minute late. You were, and then and then you said, "Well, fine, well, I quit." And he says, "You can't quit. We have too much work to do." And he's like, "That's it. I quit. I quit." And it was this it was this fork in the road moment, and I thought that, that was really amazing. The other thing was. Um, what was I was just about this that that part was amazing, but the other part was that you were talking about your idea dumps, and that's oh, yeah. when when you were talking about just now in terms of TV shows. Yes, yeah. the idea dump, the idea that you're constantly writing down these ideas that you have. Yeah, are you just so full of ideas that you're afraid you're going to forget what
2: you think of? Yes, hundred percent. Like I told in that in that instance, I remember telling the story where. Now I don't. You haven't really been to my shop, have you? I have when, been your shop. I've
1: been your shop uh, when John and Cliff was there, and then oh, okay. uh, Alex Paul was there. I oh, came right. up and so I've been
2: you your shop So when you walk from my barn times. to my house, yeah yeah, 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 I literally I'm locking the barn. It's like a 300 foot walk, and I'm like I'm locking the barn. I'm like oh yeah that's a that's a fucking good idea. You know, as I'm locking the door, whatever the idea was, I'm like I'll write it down when I get to the house. I get to the house, so I start petting the cat, I put on a coffee, and I go what was that idea? I had it like four minutes before I can't remember. Still can't remember that idea. So that happens to me all the time so i like write on my palm and i'm holding right here you, you, you hear that yeah that's yeah. a pile of index cards That's about it's about 60 index cards and each one of them has a different idea on it and half of them i already made because these were hanging on the wall on the back of my my roll down door and the other shop down the block on magnets so i took them all down because like i go through cycles where i have an idea board or, or a notebook and the idea board on the back of my magnetized door was was in style for a minute. Now it's not in style. So I collected all those cards, put them in a rubber band. They're sitting on my desk right now. I'm going to go through them, put them on refreshed index cards, put aside the ones that I've already made. But I don't throw them away because I might look at an idea, even though I already made it, I might look at that idea and – now it's 10, 12 months later. I might look at it and have a different thought just yeah. to see in the word. And that different thought could trigger something that could be an accompanying video to something that I've already done or an improvement on something that I've already done. So I feel bad. Even like I'll, you'll find in my life lists that I've written and that I've crossed things out and I still keep the list even though it's crossed out because there's something about it that has like some, some energy that I don't want to get rid of just yet. It almost feels like the, the
1: ideas, coming up with ideas – There's like a meditative quality to it.
2: Yeah. Because for me. I was going to say, go ahead. You you tell me. I was was going to say say for
1: me, the best ideas or thoughts I've had is when I got my dogs. Is I walk them in the morning? Yes. Because I'm a fr- number one. They're going to go crazy if I don't. But it's it's I have the I've had the the past seven years. I've been walking my crazy dogs. I do two miles in the morning and two miles at night. Right. I and then sometimes my wife comes with me at night, which is okay. But in the morning, nobody comes with me, and I have I plan out my day at the shop. I plan out new ideas. I'm constantly, but it's not like I'm. I have to think of something. I just start to like. It's
2: almost like when I said. It's very meditative. Easy. Yeah, when your mind is free and easy. I think for me, the way I get a lot of ideas is I take a lot in. Like I'll get catalogs and and I'll just flip through them, I'll thumb through them, and they'll throw them away. But whatever I looked at goes in the brain, goes into the goes into the visual library. That it's like a it's like a collage. Like I love when I see somebody who's good at collage when they yeah. cut magazine apart and like yeah. put a different set of eyes underneath, like a dog or whatever. That's fun to me because that's kind of how I imagine what's going on inside my brain when it comes to. Like I see a – you know, a, recently I saw a trailer that like goes down to ground level so you could roll something onto it. Then you, you hit the hydraulics and it lifts up, you know, a lift-up jack. Like that idea combined with like a vice and like these like different collages. So I'm making these collages of all these different ideas. And that's how I'll either come up with a brand-new invention, which might be something potentially I want to market. Or just more, more often than not, I just want to make a cool video that has like a cool tool hack or just a cool thing. Like I remember I was – in canada at an event with my friend and we were all on the lake and this guy rode up on this boat i'm like that is the sexiest fucking rowboat i've ever seen like i fell in love with this object and they're like oh that's our boat that's our boat we can send you a set of plans and that's the boat i'm making right now i fell in love with this boat it's called the rice lake skiff and then everyone you'll find online is designed from their plan is made from their plans but every artisan that makes it or every artist or craftsperson that makes it makes it in their own little style so there's little nuances There might be yeah. little checkered pieces of wood at the border that's the personality of who made it so you'll find different different uh, adaptations of the main plan but the main shape of the boat the sexy curves and everything is all kind of in the original plan from Bear Mountain Boats called the Rice Lake Skiff so like Right there and then, I wasn't thinking about making a boat again. It's such a pain in the ass. It's so involved. But when I saw that, I'm like, I got to make that boat. You know, it's like I fell in love with that object, and just the idea of keeping a mind open to be surprised, to be, to be primed. You know, you basically like, like you're going for your long walks. You're priming your mind to be relaxed, to be able to like have those all that input that you've gotten over the last forty years is all slowly like you know you you have visions of shit that you saw when you were a little kid you know you the first time you ever saw like the edge of a table that was the same height as your eyes you know all this stupid shit constantly is like regurgitating in my mind's eye and it all comes together to make new ideas constantly i love the fact that you're so ha-
1: i don't know what i don't know if the right word is harried but you're so frenzied to capture these ideas like that's what because when i hear you talk about it i'm like i gotta write these things down i got these notebooks and i got this thing and i got an idea dump it's almost like this it's almost like there's a bit of fear that you have these ideas and <laughs> you if you don't, don't write reason. them down it's it's over
2: well i tell you one of my friends one of i've had several very good uh, mentors coming out of college i had uh, a guy named jeff sheridan who's a magician you can look up jeff sheridan uh, Jeff Sheridan was like the first magician To do mime and magic Like where he does a full magic act and doesn't say anything Wow In 1970s and Je- I, I lost touch with Jeff He went out to Vegas to get involved with writing shows But I haven't seen him in a long time But in the 90s Jeff and I worked together a lot I helped him develop his illusions And another guy at the time was a guy named Bob And Bob Carrigan He was uh, an inventor at Hasbro in the in the 80s And the 70s And Bob passed away But Bob uh, was another create a great inventor and a great thinker. And Bob would say to me, come up with ideas, but don't write them down right away. And, and when I say I write them down, I only just write one word. Right. I don't want to start drawing pictures. He says, don't draw pictures. He, goes, he basically said, he, he would say fill up notebooks with ideas and then throw them away. And then fill up another notebook and throw them away and and i don't physically throw them away i'm too sentimental i'll keep them but i just won't know where they are they're like i'll find them they'll find them under a bed or behind a dresser or something because i might have lost it and didn't know where it was but i don't do that consciously but i don't have like a precious journal that like i can't not lose you know i just literally get it out of my head so that i could visually see the word fence and whatever or gate you know like i want to make i want to make cemetery gates for the front of the house so i like i wrote cemetery gates on a notebook so and if I lose the notebook, the visual of me looking at what I wrote locks in my head. But what are those cemetery gates going to look like? I'll wait. I won't start drawing pictures right away because then I'll get locked into a sketch. And that's what Bob taught me. He said, let it marinate, let it gestate in your mind's eye. Let all the different visuals you you pick up and all the different things that inspire that idea come together before you start drawing. Because if you draw it too soon, you're going to get locked in. You know. And I see that with a lot of young inventors. They'll be like... Oh, you know, this is the solution. And then you'd speak to them. You're like, why is that the solution? Like, well, that was the first thing I thought of. I'm like, can it also be like this or like this or like this or like this? And they're like, well, it can be. Well, then why are you stuck on the first fucking impulse you had? (laughs) Well, just because that's what I just started building. I don't want to have to build it again. I'm like, your first impulse sucks. Your fifth impulse is really the right way to do it. At least that's what it feels like right now. And that might change down the road. You know, so it's just you got to keep your mind open.
1: Then I have a pile of notebooks that, when I first started as a blacksmith at the Center for Metal Arts, I wrote down everything because I just didn't feel like I was smart enough to remember anything. And I have yeah. all my notes from taking classes with Uri Hoffe and Fred Christ and from yeah. John Ledford. No, it's I great. Have...
2: I love your notes and I love your sketches. I mean, I can only imagine what your sketchbooks look like because I know I know the watercolors you do are are absolutely beautiful.
1: Well, thank you very much. Here's the here's the thing. So, like for the notes on technique and how that I did all that. But now, I don't write things down because I feel like if it's a good enough idea for... Because the ideas I have now are not really sculptural as much anymore. Like, I'm far more interested in fader knives as a business. And that's like, to me, that's my sculpture, is this company is my sculpture. So, when I come up with... and I'm, I'm doing a new kind of color schemes and knife profiles for uh, next year and stuff like that. Part of me feels as though if I have to write everything down... It's not good enough if it do, if it's not like permanently indelible in my mind.
2: Right, I that's what I'm looking. What so I you, want is something. You're hoping the riffraff will fade off.
1: I need I need to be focused on this really good idea, and I can't be like I can't be uh, attacked from all ends from all these other because you can go down that way. Maybe I should an EDC knife. Maybe I should. If I don't have the like the idea that I'm really focusing on now. I feel like I'm gonna. I'm writing down all these notes and I'm just like, I'm not focused on this one thing. And that's what's keeping me afloat.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, you know, sometimes I, I, like I said, I most often write down just a word. I don't always sketch a picture. When I really start really thinking about it and like I have like a brainstorm where my brain starts to create like a 3D model and I'm like, oh, I got to get that down. And then I draw it and I'm like, okay, that's cool. But now that I've drawn it, I'm having a better visual. I have a better solution to that connection, that joint, that flap, that fold, that you know, whatever it might be. But that's, it's important for me to just get anything down. And like like I said, I might think of like knife sheath and I'll just write sheath leather metal. And I'll like write those three words down together and then I'll let that gestate. And if it's one of those ideas that fades off, I'll find it in a year from now on the back of an envelope. And I'll be like, oh yeah, oh, you know, now is the time for that idea. Well now that just gets, that seed gets replanted. You know, the seed is kind of like a bulb and now the season for it to sprout has come you
0: know I what like making all these
2: metaphors what,
1: i like your metaphors i'm down with the metaphor listen i let paint me a picture jimmy Deresta. <laughs> here's the question i have of from the beginning a idea to finally having it finished and looking at it what is your favorite part of the project uh
2: i guess i guess probably finishing it really yeah, cuz for me it's really important and I forget where I said this yesterday. Oh, somebody gave me a so I did a cameo for somebody and, and it was I usually get cameos from mothers or wives like tell my son this or tell my husband this and give him some encouragement. And I said to this one guy I said it's really important to finish anything. Even if you lose your mojo for the project, you want to finish it so that you could at least practice the idea of finishing something. So it's important to finish something because yes. if you if you're in a shop that has like ten half finished projects, you just start going. I'm a loser. I can't finish anything. I can't even. Why the fuck should I even start? I'm a fucking loser because I've lived with that type of personality where like, oh, I can't I, I can't finish anything. I'm a loser. I know you think I'm a loser because I never finish anything, and I don't think that. But I've had that experience about myself where I'm like, I'm a loser. Why did I start this? Why did I buy seven trucks? I can't finish. You know, it's like these are all the questions I ask myself. But the idea of starting something and finishing it through to the very end is the most fulfilling thing. Because you just go, look, I look. I, I can be hired to finish something. You know, like there's so many things that go along with it. It's like, if all else fails, I can certainly use this as a portfolio piece. So, look, I started this truck. I finished it. I sanded it. I painted it. I patched all the holes in it. And it looks fairly good. You know, I started this knife out of a file. And, and and I fucking finished it, and I even made a leather sheath for it, even though I kind of lost my mojo halfway through the grind you know it's it's important to finish it, so you can look back and say, "I'm capable of finishing stuff, and then when you really fall in love with something, finishing it is just like really really the most rewarding part of it is that do you think that that's part of
1: the the mind saying? I'm not total garbage. I have control over my. I have discipline, and I have control over my 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 decision making. I'm not complete garbage.
2: Like put yourself in the shoes. Exactly, it's the discipline. It's like yeah. it's practicing discipline. You know, it's like imagine you, somebody shows you a portfolio and they go, "Oh, this is a boat. I, I got halfway through it. I didn't finish it. And oh, look at this cabinet I made. I still got to paint it and establish, attach the drawers." Look at this beautiful knife I made. Well, you know, it's not done yet. It still need to make the leather stack handle and it was gonna have brass knuckles on it, but look at, look at this, oh, look at this beautiful bicycle that I'm building. Well, I mean, I'm almost done with it. I still have to find the wheels. What are you gonna think of that person? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves
1: up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls.
0: Head to Hero.co to shop today.
1: You know what, though? There is also, it depends. I think it depends on if you're trying to do this for a living or you're just trying to have some sort of satisfaction. You know,
2: maybe well, I, seeing I, I, these I'm partially. Thinking, f- I'm thinking in terms of like the complete artist, right? Whatever that career might be, whether it's like you sell things or you sell images or you sell, you know, whether you sell plans or whether you sell hope, whatever it is, as the complete artist, it's nice to see projects thought through.
1: Here's here's my goal in the future. This is something I've talked about in the in the past, uh, and this is what I want down the line my, my kids going off to college my wife and i are the ne- our next project will be moving out. Of, we're not going to move the from the area because we just have too much going on in my businesses you know right here and stuff like right. that but i want to we want to get a different ha- place and I, I think about the perfect studio mm-hmm. and i constantly think to me myself what i want to do in the future one of the things i just turned 49 I'm grateful for the fact that I'm not making railings anymore because I don't have to lift anything heavy. Everything, you know, knife right. making is like I'm not lifting anything over 25 right. pounds. It's You're the rolling best. around
2: in your office seat. Inside. It's the
1: best. I, I like that. <laughs> so I always, I always said that what I want to do in my, when I, as I grow older, is I need to be a better painter. I want to paint mm-hmm. big paintings. Right. And I want to have. Uh, I see. I envision a, a very big room with lots of paintings on the wall that I'm working at at the time. All the time, and being able to work on multiple things at the same time. I used to make these giant lures, and you would work on oh, yeah. five at the five or ten at the same, twenty yeah. at the same
2: time. You had, when's the last time you made a lure, by the
1: way? Uh, I made a lure last year. Okay. Chris Cash gave me some fucking Fritz about something. He's I don't why you making knives all the time. Why don't you make a fucking lure? And I made a lure, and I said it to my sister for her birthday.
2: <laughs> a person. I, I
1: like. I like. I love making sculpture. I love the lures I actually have just recently become gotten back with my old college professor who we have had. I mean, it's been like a real, I mean, I haven't seen, you know, we've, talk a little bit here and there but I, I spent some time with him you know 25 years after I graduated he was my art professor yeah and it's this really amazing you know moment of like full circle and I'm actually gonna send him a knife for Christmas and he's just like so you know it's, it's really kind of really cool seeing what's going on but in my mind I picture I know that I picture a wall well like four walls with giant paintings and I haven't finished any of them and I'm happy having if not finished any of them Like I want to be, I want to constantly be working on all of them all the time. And I, you almost don't want them to be done. And I think it's for me, I
2: think certain things for me is about the journey. I don't, well, I'll tell you what, I mean, you reminded me. So like when I see a picture of like Giacometti in his studio, or when I see a picture of Picasso in his studio with a cigarette and a pair of shorts on, or when I see a picture of like, uh, you know, a confused Jackson Pollock trying to figure out, you know, what he's going to do next. I see those pictures of those guys and I'm like, that's the romance of being an artist yeah and that's and i i i see that and i say yeah i could could get down with that and you know i feel like i have that although i don't have big paintings and big objects of sculpture i do have half-finished projects and you know dismantled purses and you know all the weird shit that inspires me laying around a boat i have a boat half-built boat and half-built guitar you know this type of shit laying around but i see that and like that's the romance of of being an artist and like being misunderstood and you know you find the one woman that could figure you out and you're like yeah that's right she's got me you know i want
1: to i want to paint a picture of one of my last my one of my my uh my mentors uh is a sculptor who actually john ariani worked with too a guy mm. by the name of lee tribe and he was a he had a studio my first studio was in greenpoint in his shop and he was a metal sculptor. He was a student of Anthony Caro's guys. And he was like a, you know, he was, he was came from a boat, boat building background in England. And then he would do well, he would collect steel and put it all over the floor, all over the floor. Like there was a sea of steel. Mm-hmm. And then every, you know, probably 10 feet, he'd have a pedestal with a lazy Susan on it. And then next to it was a buzz box. So a mm-hmm. little arc welder. Mm-hmm. So he had like six or seven stations. Oh, wow. and he would constantly be looking at and he would be working on six different sculptures and then he'd walk around the shop he'd find a piece of steel and then he'd put it up and then he'd look at it and then he'd buzz, hit it with the buzz box and there was this moment of being able to have this kind of organic conversation, this spontaneousness mm-hmm. and maybe the sculptures weren't finished but he'd be able to walk around, he'd look around he'd find something else and this would go there and this would go there and there was something very like a romantic style of maybe things won't be finished. Maybe I can just kind of enjoy that. Yeah. The moment of, of just having this conversation with something is just a really... I really well, want that again.
2: I'll tell you what. No, like I said, that my favorite part is finishing it. But the journey is is also, of course, like that's that's why we do have to shit we do as artists. To keep busy and also to keep challenging and keep problem solving. Just keep figuring out ways of putting this piece of material next to that piece of material, and then you're slowly building like a, you know, it's like, it's like grown-up Legos. It's like, okay, I'm building a boat out of all these various pieces of wood that were once the front deck of my house, you know? So there's the transformation, too. Uh, the transformation of materials is, <clears throat> I think, for, for artists and makers and blacksmiths especially, you have this chunk of metal, and you stretch, bang, upset, sharpen, pull, push, and now it's something else. You know, like that is the satisfaction as the transformation is but the
1: hardest part is blacksmithing isn't as forgiving as it isn't some people's it, hands it, like when you look at well, what stuff can do well but however you can it's hard to be spontaneous as like a, with a blacksmithing project
2: i suppose but i mean if you know if if that's your day to day you can, it's a lot easier. I mean, it's not spontaneous for me personally because I'm not. I don't fire the forge. I fire the forge up once a month. At no, that but
1: month. like the movement of material, like yeah. you can't push it. It's not like clay where you can put it back. Well, like
2: you- well, I I think, and I, I'm just speaking for myself. I know that if I if I want to do something with. I want to do something in the blacksmith shop, I go grab a piece of clay or I go grab a piece yeah. of like plastina, something that's you know not going to dry out. And I push and pull on it and I go, okay, this is how I want to do it. Or I'll start drawing or I'll just look online to see how somebody else might have done it. But then I get an understanding. So the spontaneity of the idea and knowing where you want to go can always, can always be spontaneous. But then it's like, okay, now I'm going to get in the car and go there. I just decided I'm going to go to Glacier National Park. That's the fucking spontaneity. But I got to get in the car and go there.
1: I, I wanted to talk I want to talk about Legos because I got to bring this back to Christmas but one thing that I wanted to mention is is one of the things that I, I really like I love seeing is when you when you work on your canoes right the way you've set it up in that big space where the canoe is on its frame and it's in the middle of the room and you're going piece by piece and you're able to walk around the whole thing you're not in this cluttered you know garage you can it's almost like it is very sculptural being able to kind of walk around and work on a piece and walk around it and kind of there is something very beautiful and sculptural about the making of a canoe
2: Oh, there is. Well, right now I'm working on a, it's, a, it's a 14 foot long rowboat. So it has a small flat back so you could put it like an electric motor on it. But to the untrained eye, everyone keeps thinking it's a canoe, which is fine. But it's my second boat that I'm building. It's really the third or fourth boat that I've had experience being up close with. Nick Offerman built two boats and I got to be up close and personal while he built those. I filmed him making those and then these two that I'm making for myself. So, like I said, I have a lot of personal experience being around them and seeing the process, but obviously this second boat of mine is, uh, I have the most experience up till now. And it is just incredible, like I said, the the transformation of me taking my old porch boards from my house when I ripped my porch up last year and saved the boards, because the boards were installed on the house 100 years ago, so that means they're probably two, 300, 400 year old trees that were cut down. The grain pattern in them, like in uh, in the course of like one inch, there's probably 75 grain lines, which is unbelievable when you think about old growth versus anything you cut down now. If you look at the end of a two by four, it's an inch and a half by three and a half inches. You might see 10 grain lines huh. in over one inch of one of the, like the I'm cut all the wood for the for the boat down to quarter inch by one inch planks. Over the course of that one inch end grain, you see 60, 70 grain lines. So this wood is intense, and you know you just you think of the history of it. And when I made this boat, you'll 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 dig this. I left nail holes in it, like rusted nail holes, yeah. and where the wood gotten and got stained, darked because it was at the edge of the deck. I left those scarf joints darker, and you know so I, I left a lot of the texture of the deck in, in it, and it, and I really uh, it really turns me on.
1: Do you have any – speaking of – you were talking about Legos before and to jog, my memory. Do you have any fond Christmas memories?
2: I do. You know, one of the memories when I think – when in my mind, like we all have these memories that run on repeat when we think of Christmas or when we think of our childhood birthday or when we think of the first bicycle we got. I remember when we got Pong. I remember my dad wrapping oh, yeah. Pong and hooking it up to the television set and saying, you can't leave it on because it's going to burn into the TV screen, <laughs> playing with Pong. And I remember my impulse of like, okay, so I have to like knock that square to the other side. And I did it a couple times and it didn't, it wasn't tangible enough for me to give a shit about it. And I never played video games. Like the tangibility, because I already had experience in the workshop. So whenever Pong came out, maybe in 1977, I was 10 years old. At that point, I already had workshop experience. So the idea of me like batting the stick up and down and turning this thing and this thing on TV, like it had no real crystallization It had no, like, physicality to me. So I was like, okay. I have my, a workshop. I can go downstairs and actually make something.
1: My dad brought Pong home. Yeah, you're 76. I must have been, like, three or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember him setting it up and just being mesmerized that he had this dial that would move the paddle. <laughs> there was a dial, and then whatever he was doing with the dial was moving on the screen up and down. And it was like, I just couldn't... I just didn't understand how my dad. I was like, I thought my dad was on TV. Yeah. Like I thought he was. I thought he was. I mean, I was like three or something like that. I was like, my father is now. He's he's doing something on TV.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I honestly was amazed by it, and we all thought it was cool as hell. But it didn't like in that in that week or that month that Pong was in the house, my brother. My brother's very competitive, so he had to get good at it. He was the best at it. He could even he, – he in his mind, he thought he could put a spin on the ball by hitting it a certain <laughs> – <laughs> it was just the fucking square going burp, 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 burp. But you he thought he'd like it. spin on it by hitting <laughs> it at a certain like shooting the paddle up and hitting it. But it just, never, it just never sucked me in. It didn't suck me in really is the bottom line. And then when Pong, Pac-Man came out and all these other games came out, none of them sucked me in. My friends would spend hours at these games. And I just always had the physicality of the workshop and the physicality of a hot glue gun or the bandsaw or you know my dad showed me how to use the radial arm saw and you know making a a lap joint you know like this is the type of shit that I was learning and it just seemed more real to me. But like it was just so natural to me. It wasn't it wasn't like I had to make a decision like I'd rather do this than that. I was just more attracted to like the physical world and none of none of my real close friends ever really did any of that stuff. They would. We're- was was hockey, baseball, and video games. Was
1: Christmas a big part of your childhood? Or did it you... was.
2: It was. Another very, very, very uh, important memory in my life was the morning my mom got my dad. My, my parents been divorced since 1980, so you can look this up and see what – this might have been 78 or 79 when Let's Get Small came out by Steve Martin. I think – I feel like I remember that and on the cover it's it's Steve Martin leaning on a speaker with the arrow through. It's like a very artsy picture. It's yeah. like, it's almost like the co- like it's almost like a it's a concert album but for a comedian. It's almost kind of has like a like that 70s double album feel. And it's Steve Martin leaning on a speaker with the arrow through his head and it's that album Let's Get Small. And I remember my dad putting it on and playing it all morning long and all of us dying laughing. Even like I'm 10, 11, 12 years old and we're all dying laughing and my like, my dad was a huge my dad is still still alive. He's a huge fan of comedy, and that's why like I think we all developed our sense of comedy because my dad was always playing Steve Martin, uh, uh, the hell's his name, George Carlin, and, yeah. and Richard Pryor. Like we listened to all those, and and uh, Roddy Dangerfield. We listened to all the shit growing up. My my and dad and Dolomite the Do, Dolomite the comedian Dol, of course was it Dolomite who was the comedian no Randy uh, Rodney Rodney something he was like the Dolomite guys. My dad would play this like the most vulgar adult humor. My dad was playing for us when we were ten years old. We were dying laughing that my dad would let us listen to this shit.
1: My 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 wife's uh, stepfather took her to see Eddie Murphy raw. Hmm. And she said it was the most insane thing. And she was little. So she yeah, was, was like, like she was probably 12.
2: 84. Yeah. So she was,
1: she was 10 or 11. And she said it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And she's like, I felt like I was part of history.
2: <laughs> it was, man. Well, it was, was either raw
1: or delirious. I can't remember. But I mean, it was just like, she talks about that like it was the craziest thing. In, in regards to, I mean, my, my father was such a huge Mel Brooks fan that we had. Oh,
2: Mel Brooks too. Oh my God.
1: We had yeah. we had the two, the 2000-year-old 2, man on tape and my oh. dad would play it in the car and uh-huh. I would memorize it. every my dad would it would make it would make him laugh that I'd memorize the tape and then I would oh, yeah. do it for him to make him laugh and that yeah. was and then you know that was part of that was part of it uh, yeah comedy was so huge and I remember my dad took me to my first rated movie my dad took me to Beverly Hills Cop and oh, that wow. was totally crazy totally my crazy my dad
2: used to take us to you might not remember this. My dad used to take us to Sunrise Drive-in Theater in in uh like on the edge of Queens, in the edge of Valley Stream. We'd all go in the station wagon and we went to Blazing Saddles, High oh, Anxiety. Man. I remember seeing Blazing Saddles, High Anxiety and uh, another Mel Brooks movie at the time. Um I can't remember. History of the World Part 1. We might have seen that. We might have seen The Producers in the car. The producers is real early though like the producers right. is like 70 69 70 but um high anxiety silent movie is another one that's right all these movies my dad would take us and my dad would laugh so hard and there then i remember him taking us to go see um the uh the pink panther movies and i swear to god i never i never see my dad laugh harder than when when in the pink panther movies when his keys get stuck in the door that his pants rip off and he's <laughs> he's dragging rice all around the lobby of his building all that stupid shit my dad would laugh so hard and like and like that was christmas morning not not in those movies but like it reminds reminds me back to christmas morning when he would play for instance that uh steve martin album and then there was always other albums too but that's the one i remember the most do you think that's why your brother went into comedy Definitely, My dad made us laugh so hard when we were kids. Like the best, when me and my brothers get together and we talk about like the vulgar, crazy, absurd, inappropriate shit, my dad would yell at other drivers because my dad was a very angry driver. My dad was like road rage city. We would die, die laughing remembering the shit he comes up with.
1: Well, thinking about it, when you were mentioning the Legos, it reminded me of a very vivid Christmas story that I have that was like, I mean, like, it's just indel indelible in my head. I can't, I'll never shake this one. It was, be, my my mother, my mother's Roman Catholic. My father was Jewish. When he married my mother, it was the antidote to his previous wife who was very religious, right. very Jewish. And she, he ended up, you know, they got divorced and then they she married he married my mother, who was Roman Catholic, and the total opposite. Right. And I remember when I was—I must have been 10. My parents decided they wanted to celebrate Christmas in Maui. And it was like—it I was it was amazing. You know, it was just like, this is incredible. I, I have—there's a—I remember the smell of getting off the plane, the, mm. the everything. I remember the—there's a picture of me with this bull haircut and this giant lei around my neck. I remember amazing <laughs> things. But one of the things that I was afraid of was— I said to my mother, I was like 9 or 10, I said, what if Santa doesn't know that I'm here? Because that was a real fear. It was just yeah. like, Santa. she said, don't worry, Santa knows that you're here. He's like, how could she possibly know? And she's like, he'll know that you're here. And I said, well, I'm not at home. I'm in Hawaii. I'm the farthest from New York <laughs> that could possibly be. That's and right. she said, decides to say, well, let's change the subject. What do you want for, for Christmas? And I've would, i been so browbeaten by my parents, by my older sisters, I wanted a younger brother. And I said to her, I really want a younger brother. Oh, and she said, well, that doesn't really work that way. She goes, well, I said, well, you asked me what I want from Santa. I want a young, I want a younger brother. And she said, no, that's not, that's not, I mean, that's not, he can't do that. And she said, I said, well, why not? I said, all of a sudden he, he knows that I'm here in Hawaii. Now he doesn't, if I say I want a brother, he can't give me a brother. And she had, says, you
2: haven't had the talk yet. You still well, have.
1: Well, I'm bleeding up to it. So right there. <laughs> so right there, my mother says, I have something to tell you. And I said, what's that? she said i want you to know that santa claus isn't real and then this is how and then she explained santa's in your heart and this is how babies are born oh boy your mother in this time. i'll never fucking forget this she says your father takes his penis and puts it in my vagina I'm and then seminates the eggs my jaw is on the floor
2: i have to take a knee
1: all i want is Our fucking Legos. And all of a sudden, I find out mom's fucking dad. Dad's fucking mom. And it's like, it was this.
2: Hold on, I have to go get a glass of water. Hold on.
1: I don't blame you. It was like such an intense, (laughs) it was such an intense moment. It was such an intense moment going from, I'm going to have, I want a brother to, there is no Santa Claus and your father is putting his penis in me. (laughs) <laughs> I swear to God and it was just like I don't want anything Anything, I'm not gonna don't ask me for anything else don't make home. me I don't want to be inquisitive at all <laughs> I don't want anything else I'm never gonna ask another question because all of a sudden there's no Jesus there's no Santa and here we are
2: oh boy That's
1: and I ended up getting one. the Legos and, I, and that was like all I wanted were some fucking Legos and I got the fucking Legos and it was the first Legos that had the dude you know that was that was a pivotal point in making when lego started to put, do the little astronauts yes
2: all of a sudden that was after like i'm 55 so how old you're, you're six 49 years than, you're six years younger than me so i do remember when the when the astronaut or like the figurine came out i was like shit why didn't they have that when i was playing with the fire? it, it would, was like exactly that what is doing. <laughs> that actually probably
1: is the downfall of lego in terms of the maker of the of the maker mentality
2: when they started making like kits so you right. put the model together. Cuz like, that's I, when they started to make kits for
1: the guys. All of a sudden the astronauts needed yeah. a buggy and he needed a spaceship yeah. and the next thing you know. And it took away I believe that it took away a lot of the creativity.
2: I tell you what, I a lot honestly of had. had I honestly had this thought process when I was whatever 12, 13, 14 years old when I started realizing they're making kits I'm like, so that means you have all these free form blocks that have to fall inside the thought through well designed blocks that create the edge of this object so like you're making a, a buggy or a fucking whatever the thing that Luke Skywalker would ride that looks like a a fucking shoe with two rockets on it like you got to make you got to make sure all those design pieces are at the outer perimeter of it but you could still have the creativity between the perimeters. That's, that was the first thing I thought of. I'm like that's kind of restrictive. It's like-
1: when I was in first grade, somebody figured out how to make the snow speeder from Star Wars with mm-hmm. the Lego tri- with the, those little uh, triangles, you know mm-hmm. like. Uh, and we fi- one kid figured out it looked so cool. And we were all anytime we got the Legos, we'd all grab all those blue triangles and made the snow speeders. Mm-hmm. And then I, we thought this, whoever came up with it, and one of the kids in the class, we were like, that kid's a genius. And now all of us are making this particular, his design for this thing with these, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, free-form things. He's and it improv- was like, it. oh, dude, he became the most popular kid in the class because <laughs> he figured out the coolest way to make these snow speeders. And then all of a sudden it's like now, when my kid was younger, we went, I, went her to, I went to get Legos for her. And I was like, but all of it's a it, you can't really, I mean,
2: you're not really... You're not really encouraged to be creative anymore. You have to follow the plans. When I was a kid, I remember Lego kits would come in pieces. Right. You get boxes of pieces. A 700-piece set, a 600-piece set. And then they started coming in, oh, this is the such-and-such from that most recent movie that everybody is supposed to watch. Right. And and then uh, that – yeah, that kind of – I kind of definitely remember that threshold of going from free free thinking – to being put in a box, physically being put into a shape.
1: We have a friend who we were uh, feeding their cat. And I went down to, there was something with their boiler. I went to go turn the, you know, and they had boxes and boxes of finished Legos that were in these plastic storage bins. Like, it was, it was like just, just stacks of them. And it was like they had finished, they would, they would do it like a puzzle and then store it away, f- completed. Wow. And I was just like, Sad. that is so bizarre to me. Like it was <laughs> the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was like, it, they were, all of a sudden they were no longer useful at, any other way other than it's a puzzle now that you have to complete yeah. in this particular order. Yeah. I believe that that's a, I th- I believe that that's a real, that was a monumental thing that really affects kids.
2: Yeah, because I remember, I remember when the biggest distraction for my Lego set was when I mixed the colors. Like I wanted all the white pieces and all the yellow and all the various different colors to be separate. And I remember being then, I remember they're going, eh, fuck it. Let's mix them up. Who gives a shit? And like getting, like the freedom of like letting go of that OCD. Because when you're a little kid, you start developing OCDs about the weirdest fucking shit. And you know, I see it in my nieces and nephews when they grow up. Like they start OCDing out about like, you are like, well, this kid's going to have a fucking problem. But I remember letting go of some of those and, you know, obviously hanging on to a lot of them as well. But I remember letting go of the idea of, keeping my Lego colors separated and just being like, fuck it. Whatever I happens. never
1: thought, I never, it never even dawned on me that you, cause I remember we would get the boxes and it was just like, they were, they were not, they weren't separated anyway. You just, you just throw them back in the, I had well, to put my fucking, I had to put my toys away. So I'm not like separating out the blocks. I'm throwing them all in on one thing and hoping. Well, that's step what I'm saying. On I just
2: like, I would like, I remember having to separate the colors. Maybe when we've like, maybe if we dumped the set out, I would separate the colors just to like say, okay, this is what, this is my palette. And then I remember like the threshold of being just like, it doesn't matter what I make out of what color. They're all the same shape. You got blocks, you got half blocks, you got little flat blocks, and you got the little tiny two-piece block. What can I make out of all those? Occasionally, you have like a wedge block, which is supposed to be the edge of a roof or something. I always felt those were very restrictive. They were hard to figure out how to put in the fucking puzzle. And then all of a sudden, these kits came out, and half of them were those weird shapes that had like a wedge on the shape of it. Did 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 you have
1: any like... Were there any special traditions, like holiday traditions that you and your family used to celebrate together? Like, were you knew that Christmas is coming and I know we're going to be doing this?
2: Well, I remember when Christmas was coming, my mother and father would get the box down. And again, this is all in the 70s because after my, my parents stopped living together, we kind of – like I haven't had a Christmas tree in 30 years. Uh, but in the 70s, I remember when the box would come down and the box still had the smell, like the box – it was still remnants from my grandparents in that. And I, I do not remember my grandparents to die when I was so young. But that box in like the garland. And I remember like unwrapping the garland in like 1979 going, this shit's like from the 60s. Right. And like might even be some of the shit in here that could be from the 50s. And I remember unwrapping it. So that smell of that box is like certain holiday candles that always got put back in that box. And that smell, like if I if I go through a Christmas aisle at walmart or whatever i might accidentally catch it like a very reminiscent smell of that box of shit but there were these styrofoam reindeer like the flat that would go on the wall hang on the wall like a decoration now they would be vacuum form, but at the time they were like molded styrofoam and i remember like the feet being broken off my dad trying to fix the feet a funny tradition this is a funny tradition i just just reminded myself of this while we're talking my dad was a new york city fireman in rockaway and he would always come home from rockaway during christmas he would wait to like five days before Christmas to do the tree because he would get a deal on the trees that nobody wanted. He (laughs) he would always wait until like, there was like two, three Charlie Brown trees. Yeah. And he would buy two or three trees for like 20 bucks or maybe five, 10 bucks a piece. Bring them home, take the most healthy one, make that the center of the tree, cut all the branches off of the other two or one and drill out the middle of the tree and stick them in. My dad would take a forstner bit or like a like a, like a like a screw bit from like an old yeah. auger, but he'd put it on a modern drill, drill out, and he'd carve the end of the branches and stick them in. So he'd take a tree that looked like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree and fill it out with other branches from a donor or two trees.
1: What a genius idea.
2: And the funny thing was, he'd put it in a cup like a coffee can so that it would soak up water, but those branches didn't get grafted in well enough. And so by like like a week after New Year's, the fucking you'd walk by the tree and like if you got hooked on your sweater, like the oh, tree, everything's falling off. The tree would like snap back and every fucking pine needle would snap off of the branch. And we were picking pine needles up until March, April. That's a
1: real Italian move having it past uh, having it past uh, New Year's.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because we were all lazy, it's like no one picked up the dog shit and nobody threw the tree away. And my dad was a New York City fireman, so he was he was never home. He was always at work, and you know he'd always take whatever overtime he could, or occasionally there'd be a fire, and so it was kind of us up to us and the boy, you know, the boys to take care of shit. And of course, we just like it's like the the first the, I remember the rule was if you see the dog shit, you have to pick it up, and then everybody pretended like they didn't see it. <laughs> Until my, the person who stepped in it saw it, and then they fucking started crying.
1: My kid, my kid does that. She's like, she doesn't see it. She didn't. I didn't know. I didn't see anything. I didn't know. <laughs> I wonder what kind of stories your dad has about like being a firefighter during the holidays. Because it's like firefighters. I have friends who are firefighters, and they kind of like. Part Of those tours where you're doing, you know, three days on the firehouse, you kind of bond and you have these oh, kind of moments. Sure. So I would imagine that, like, fire the firehouse on holidays are, are, are very, like, romantic.
2: I could tell, I, I would guarantee you, some fireman will tell you, having the firehouse is an excuse to avoid going to the in law's house. Oh, I gotta, huge! I gotta work tonight. I'm sorry, I gotta work. You know, what are you, what are you gonna say? I gotta work, and it's like, that's it. You know, we'll go to your house when the pressure's off, when it's no longer Christmas or between New Year's. And uh, the idea of, you know, I, I have friends that are firemen now, and, and I could see that they, I can't do it. I got to work. <laughs> you know, Firefighters of, are like, the best. The, the idea of, like, using that as an excuse is the best.
1: Firefighters <laughs> are the best. I, my, the last, I, I think I told you this the last time we were on uh, here, uh, one of the best gifts I ever got was from a firefighter. I've been, always wanted a Halligan tool.
2: Oh, I got. It. I have two Halligans, and I have in my cards right here. I'm going to do this again. Right here, I want to make a 12-inch Halligan. That's a, one I, of my one of my blacksmith projects.
1: Halligan tools are. I've said this. It's like we used to covet them. And at one point, I was I was super. I, we were having a, a fire inspection in one of our shops. This is like 20 years ago, and I was like right next to the fire truck, and I thought, I see it. If I grab it, no one will see. me. I was like super close, and I was not a thief. I never did that. I needed one because these Halligan tools are amazing. And then uh, a friend of mine is a firefighter, and he retired. And you know, I always said to him, like, "Yeah, if you ever get a chance to, I want to get a real fire, a real Halligan tool." All of a sudden, this real Halligan tool mm-hmm. showed up on my front door, and he says, "Don't ask any questions." And, you know, a lot of these firefighters, it's like if it's free, it's for me, and I'll take oh, three. Yeah. So yes. I, I've been wanting to do this Halligan tool. I, I've talked to Pat Quinn about doing it like a real one because they're, they're incredible. And you yeah. can go to talk about the YouTube rabbit hole. If you want to go down the YouTube rabbit hole, go on how to use a Halligan tool. You'll get into any door, any, mm-hmm. any door, any, there's no door you can't get into without a I mean you can get in any door with a Halligan tool. And the
2: thing is the Halligan tool is forged out of one piece of metal. Or cast or what something like that, but yeah. I, so I think it's forged because I don't know if you would rely on being cast. I mean, I'm, I I'm, I ahead.
1: believe the one I have. I don't believe the I don't believe the ones in production are forged. I think they maybe they're drop forged, but because you, you can
2: really you could really it's amazing when you watch the drop forged process as it goes through several dies. You know the shape you could push something into. It's unbelievable.
1: It's, it's these Halligan tools would be the greatest blacksmith. I've been talking to a lot of guys about. It. I even d- did drawings on how I would forge out. Yeah. a Halligan tool, but they're so huge. As well. It would be, I mean, a real one, it's like, I mean, it's the size of, I mean, for the listener, it's the size of a crowbar, a little bit bigger, and it's it about, has. Yeah, it's
2: about 38, 39 inches. And range.
1: they're huge, and they're thick, and you have a hect, you, you know, the, 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 the bar that you're holding is an octagon, and then you have this one thing that's like a bull's prick with a spike sticking it through the side to the 90 degrees, a bull's prick, you know what a bull's prick is? I think so. It's what these guys used to use to pick up plates. So it was like a bar with like a, a lever, and then you'd kick the lever under the under a big plate, and then you could use the lever to lift it up enough to put something underneath it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I use I, I use like a Johnson bar.
1: Yeah, Johnson bar. It's basically yeah. a Johnson bar. Yeah. So, but these Halligan tools are like. I mean, mine is like when the pandemic was like getting weird. I had my Halligan tool in my car, <laughs> and I thought if I were to pick one. Tool instrument in the apocalypse. Yeah. Halligan tool would be the tool for me.
2: Halligan tool and a an nice pick for close hand to hand combat.
1: I, I mean, you walking around with a Halligan tool, no one's giving you Fritz because I mean, yeah. it's like a, it almost looks like a, something that like a like a, a warlord would carry. You know, it's like a, it's got <laughs> it looks crazy looking.
2: So I've had a Halligan tool in my midst since I was fifteen years old. My dad stole one from the city. It's always been in and around my world. And then when I finally got old enough to like appreciate blacksmithing and the whole YouTube world, I was like, I got to find that Halligan tool and, like, keep it near me. And so I did, and it's always been right beside my desk. It goes from, like, being, like, right there to being, like, where's my Halligan tool? Like, Rob will be like, oh, it's over here. We used it to do this. But then this summer I bought a second one. So now I have one always beside my desk at the flea market shop, and, and now I always have one here in my, in my shop in the backyard.
1: It would be an awesome awesome forging project
2: yeah and like i said i wanted to make a small one just to kind of have like well, a, an everyday carry like a 12 or 15 inch one
1: a small one would be great because you could actually heat treat it and use it yeah. but like these big ones to heat treat one of these big ones it would be that would be the hardest of the whole thing yeah because you they're heat huge treat
2: one half and the other half and figure it out or something
1: i whatever it is is the yeah. Halligan tools or i can imagine your dad did your dad ever use the Halligan tools
2: well i'll tell you a story about my dad he he, oh, yeah, he's, he always he, he, he brought one home so we could use it to like move shit and pry shit away. that's why we had it when, when I was a kid. But he was this is back when drinking on the job was something that everybody just kind of turned a blind eye to. My dad never did drink on the job, but his, some of his contemporaries did. And this one particular job. My dad was holding the Halligan tool to a door, and the drunken fireman who was supposed to hit the Halligan tool with the back of a, of a flathead black back axe to bang it into a door to pop open a door they were on a job somewhere in Rockaway he missed and hit the back of my dad's hand oh my god I don't know how close my dad's hand was to the thing I wasn't there but I remember my dad got off because the back of his hand was smashed and the his his ring my dad had this ring that was like a it was it was a, the Knights of Columbus ring that my dad had because my dad was a Knights of Columbus guy and they gave him a ring at a ceremony and he that was all, the only ring he ever wore it was this Knights of Columbus ring with a big diamond in it it got smashed into his finger and they had to cut it open. They, so he came home with a hand, his hand in a cast and his ring opened and like pried open because they had to take it off of his, his damaged hand. And uh, he made it through that. He just It was just a broken bone on the back of his hand. But I remember him showing the ring and then he showed us how they cut the ring off. You know what a ring cutter is? You ever yeah. seen one of those? Yeah. He said that you know, they have one in a fire truck. So he showed us what a ring cutter was and how they took it off his finger.
1: While I'm listening to this story, I'm knowing exactly why the, hal- the halogen tools being used in this situation because I watch all these guys in YouTube videos yeah. so you use that hook you use the, the flat part you drive it in and then your halogen bar is perpendicular to the door Yep. And then what you do is you drive the halligan bar down and it opens it up and you stick a wedge in there. And yep. the whole idea is to get the the door off the hinges. Yeah, so it's you can not like do
2: it at the hinge side or the lock side, either way, whatever's right. more convenient. But you're
1: for... driving it in so you can kind of like you can wrench it either you probably counterclockwise down or or clock whatever. Yeah. Down. And then the, the the wedge kind of opens it up so you can stick wedges in all those firefighters had like blocks in their, in their helmets and they would use the so, blocks to stop it. My dad was then... always
2: cutting those door jams. so He would always cut the door wedges and then you'd go and I remember when I was a little kid he'd cut all these door wedges on the bandsaw and then when I go to the fire department I'd see all their hats set up with the big yeah. they'd take a slice of, a, of like an inner tube of a, of a car and they'd wear that. Now they probably have like a hat band like the army has hat bands so you could like put shit in your hat but at the time they would cut a slice of a truck tire tube fit right over the hat and then put the wedges in the hat so the wedges, right i would see the wedges my dad made on all the fireman hats when he was making
1: the wedges was he using a certain type of wood or didn't really matter no
2: just scrap because he said they would just leave him at the job so he always there was a box of them like he made like there was always a like if they left him holding 10 doors open they would just leave and just grab 10 more out of the box that was at the side of the fire department garage go watch
1: some go watch some Halligan tool videos how to use those things you know we want to be like i can open any door here no yeah. problem. No problem. But you need two dudes. You need a guy with a driver. You need to, to, to drive them in.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or, or you could, like, stick it right under a door, too, and then just right. wrench the shit right off.
1: Ugh. Th- I think that that's the most underrated tool of all time. I, I mean, literally, <laughs> like, when I, the first time I saw one and I started sawing him, seeing him used, once I had mine, I... Ground off the firefighter number on it, and I and I and I in I welded I mig welded my name and script on right. it, so it was just like this is mine. You know, this is I mean,
2: who's going to know? Well, it's but, funny because um, like I was at the flea market this summer with Rob. It might have been the beginning of the summer or the end of last summer. And there's a great flea market up the road here, and it's usually open during Maker Camp. It ends at the end of October, but it's every Sunday morning. And there's a couple of guys that always have good shit. And one day. The Halligan tool was like on his table, it was like, like like light beaming off of it. I'm like, oh shit! I'm like, how much? He's like, 150 bucks. Oh my god, no problem. I like, I go 125. He goes, all right, all right. So I got 125 bucks. But it would sit there because this is a flea market where it's just like all dirt yeah. bags, some local. Like nobody would want that. It'd be like it's a fucking crowbar for 150 dollars for a crowbar. But I got it. So they're not I'm easy to
1: get. Point. You got to steal. They're
2: Probably. very hard to find. Yeah, I know that. That Rob immediately was on. He's like. Three hundred bucks all day long. Three three
1: fifty. Oh, I would totally pay three fifty for a Halligan yeah, bar. Yeah. No problem. There, I mean, the one I have is like my prized possession. Like I'm, I might leave some shit that you wouldn't. You'd be surprised in my shop to get that Halligan tool if it was on fire. I needed. <laughs> I need, I have to have that Halligan tool.
0: All
1: right. So here's the question I have for you. It's Christmas time. People are spending money. Maybe they get a little extra money. What are some of the tools that you've gotten this year? that are underrated. That you're so happy that you got
2: see um my john uh my john ariani hammer that i bought last last winter
1: dude he makes great hammers he makes
2: beautiful hammers i use this hammer a lot and that's not necessarily for uh, blacksmithing um let me see i've been using the hammer what i'm trying to think what what have i gotten
1: i love john so much i try to get him on here and he's just like you know we're good friends and i i love john i love john I love John, and he's like, ah, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna be any good on your podcast anymore. I'm too quiet. I don't have anything <laughs> to get say. Clips so and I'm like, like, you get those And I'm like, you fucking in. things. Ah, oh, you don't want me on here anymore. I'm like, dude, you're my fucking guy. I love his hair. I just gotta. He, he's very funny. He, I, he would, he would I totally, love
2: him. You need him on, like you need him on for flavor. Have somebody else I have on. Him.
1: I, he's got an open invite. John is one of my close <laughs> friends. I love John. I love Cliff. I love those guys. Modern Forge all day. Jesse, all those guys. I love them. Yeah. Well, Whatever you want, I'm not gonna force him on. For Christ's sakes, you know. Trying to think, what's what is a good tool? I mean, I'll tell a, you. I'll just what? to give you a, just a I got something for the shop that I never thought this was the best buy of all time. I got a tile saw, oh, and yeah. the tile saw, a wet tile saw, and it's because I use G ten, which is uh, oh, like a how fiberglass.
2: The fuck, are you supposed to cut that shit,
1: dude? G ten destroys your, your table saw blades. A fucking tile saw cuts it like butter and here's the crazy thing it will give you a completely 100 square edge I couldn't have made all my uh all my uh all my color lab handles without the tile saw I've never had to change oh, because you're,
2: you're, you're splicing colors together so you have color beside color beside color right
1: and I'm getting 90 degree cuts like you've not right. it, it's it important cuts for
2: you because you're gonna you're gonna then shape the edge but the internal part that has to matt has to match perfectly. Has to mate next to the next piece. The best, this,
1: the best buy of the entire year has been this tile saw.
2: Unbelievable. Now, I, I remember we had a t- we had a class and uh, Pellegrino was a teacher. He's been a teacher a couple times up here at the house. This was all before Maker Camp when we were doing the classes in my backyard. And um, there was a pot like somebody oh get some G ten. Brett bought a bunch of G ten. I'm like yeah just fucking cut it on the band so It's fiberglass. Fucking immediately burnt out a fucking brand new blade, And I'm like wait a minute That must have been like an anomaly in that piece Second band saw blade Boom I'm like okay What is in this fucking shit that nothing cuts it Unbelievable Like what is in it Is it like filled with It's fiberglass But like fiberglass cuts like wood it's
1: it's fiberglass impregnated with resin i don't know but it's there's so goddamn like ceramic it's, or something it's it i used to use blades. a table saw and i would just cut i would just dro- i would destroy, destroy my table blade. saw blades i use the tiger saw i mean the uh the uh the band saw destroys this those blades if you use a table saw or you've used a wet saw or a tile saw number one no fumes at yeah. all because right. the water so holds tough. the fumes down yeah. and there's no fumes whatsoever you're never burning anything. I've had the same I've been using the same goddamn uh b- blade forever. Now I'm figuring out how to use it like a ca- to carve with it. Like you to know carve. the secret about Go G10? Ahead.
2: Go ahead. After that class, we had those classes and I found a little pile of it fucking threw it away. My
1: dude, G10's my biz. Said, G10 is my favorite. You can't said, For knife G-10. handles, there's nothing better. Fuck because it. because you because it doesn't take on water it doesn't it, it the, the colors are so amazing if it wasn't for G, I i mean if it wasn't for g10 i'd be like one of these thief knife makers who just thieves steal ideas from other people they're thieves <laughs> no, jimmy I, I, these I, knife makers so... are the worst <laughs> I if i can't use my art degree with color theory and shit like that these motherfuckers i'd be like one of them stealing stealing designs from other people
2: Knives have kni- the knife business is is a funny business because there are some extremely beautiful knives, but I like a fucking utilitarian knife, like yeah. a knife that's like a hundred bucks. I'm gonna chip the tip off. I'm gonna grind it back. When you see somebody pull out a knife and it's like an inch shorter than it should be, you're like, okay, that's somebody that uses his fucking knife because he's broken the tip off a couple times taking chances like for instance my leatherman I'll I'll abuse the fuck out of a leatherman because I know I'll just go buy another one for 100 bucks or I'll take the blade off of one that's got a broken blade on the other side and I'll combine them together but the idea of spending like $1000 on a knife it, the most I'll spend on a knife is 300 bucks because you know all the benchmate knives are about 300 bucks and I love Benchmade knives and they last and I beat the hell out of them and the handles last but when you see these guys like these pocket knives at a thousand bucks. I mean, believe me, if somebody handed me one, I was if somebody gave me one as a gift, I would certainly take it. I could appreciate the workmanship that goes into it, but I like a knife that people will use. Yeah, that's the reason
1: why mine. That's why I focus on my knives. I want people to use my knives. Well, that's yeah, but you're, whole thing.
2: you're in the you're in the business of making kitchen knives. No, Those, but I
1: mean, I I, I I shrink away from these very very expensive knives i mean i have right now i have we have like a system in place like this is how much it costs per inch and then you can add this and you can add this i had a guy he ran the fucking i mean he i wouldn't have done it but he ran it up to $1400 for a knife and i was just like uh, well, he hit all the buttons. <laughs> I mean, oh, so he I checked all the, all the boxes. Buttons.
2: He He the hit boxes, the fucking
1: button. But... He hit the buttons. I didn't tell him to hit the buttons. He hit all of them. And I'm like, okay, he wants to hit every floor. <laughs> he wants to go, particularly before he goes to the top floor, he wants to hit every goddamn floor. That's his decision. I but at the will same Shearer's time, knife. I wouldn't do it.
2: I have that beautiful Will Shear knife that he made for me. It's right there on in the shelf in the box that came in. I will never fucking cut anything with that. Why? Because I'll fucking let it get rusty. I'm an idiot. I can't, like, every... See? That's this is the all, reason why I do stainless steel. The knife that I have that I use every day is is a. It's cut. I think it's ten ninety five. I cut it. Made it myself. There's no scales on it. It's just the shape of a blade with a handle. I made this myself. Cut on the plasma cutter. Sharpened it. Hardened it. That is my everyday knife. I use it. My. I made it for myself. There's nothing. And every time I use it, I wipe it off. But every time anybody else uses it. They let it drip dry and I come home and it's fucking covered with rust. Who wants that
1: in their lives? So Who needs that in their lives? I started doing my first knives were forged knives because I was a blacksmith before I was a knife maker. And I thought I can do this. And I was forging knives and stuff like that. And all of a sudden I would make a knife for somebody and then I get a call. Why is it changing color? I'm like, yeah, why is it changing color? Yeah. And then I started to do the stainless steel. And I'm just like, I all my knives in my kitchen, I've made a knife with Nick Anger, I've made knives with Tomer or or kitchen knives. I've made great knives and stuff. I'll drip a one drip of water on it and then it gets rusty and I'm depressed for a day. Like <laughs> all this work and for this.
2: I will literally like when I find a knife and, and it's not – I would never do this to Will's knife. But if there's a knife that I made that gets rusty because I made it out of some spring steel or whatever – and it gets rusty. It drives me bananas. I uh, literally it's crazy. trudge through the snow to go down and 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 blast it on the on the on the belt grinder. You know, blast it with uh, right with um what, Scotch what is Bright it? belt. Scotch Bright. I'll run it on the Scotch Bright belt. But who
1: needs Bright Bright. that in their lives? Like I, my customers, I don't want it. So why no, would my customers? I probably do all my knives. We did a we did a lot of knives this year. Ninety six percent of my knives are are stainless because I push yeah. people to stainless. Yeah, I usually ask them. What kind of slob are you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, The knives that I use the most often in my kitchen, since you're a little knife-centric podcast, I use two knives. I bought two of them, so in case one of them ends up in the dishwasher, there's always one. I have these two, a little bit larger than average steak knives, super sharp, got them at the the supermarket, stainless, constantly used for everything, and they're still very, very sharp. I haven't had to sharpen them yet, but they're great. They're slim. They cut through anything fast and easy because they're only about three-quarters of an inch fat about 10 inches long stainless sharp as, as all get out look at you look
1: at you well just to let you know I mean this podcast has turned into from what do you have to I really wanted about for me it's more I'm more interested in what people who they are as mm-hmm. opposed to what they have and do right. so well, I don't get ask too... me a
2: question ask me go anything.
1: ahead ask me oh ask me a que- ask you a question about What's who next? I am. Okay, okay. I mean, I thought I got it all. I mean, <laughs> what what am I gonna? Have? I mean, I, I know that Chad from Manicrafting is you know gonna write a GoFundMe to get your f- show back on, but I, oh I don't have any. I don't have any. I mean, do you tell me what's new?
2: What's next for Jimmy Duresser? Any TV shows on the horizon? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, uh, it's 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 interesting. I'm going into the new year uh, at the end of this last year. I became single for the first time in twelve years, so I'm going. Into, off. Thank you. I'm going into the new year single uh, with a lot of free time on my hands, and I have to really be careful to use that time productively. And uh, you know, you said you go for long walks with your dog. I've been going for long walks. Now the weather's getting a little too cold, but I've been going for three and four mile walks alone every night, which is really nice. Because it gives you that gestation period to like, kick around some ideas or listen to that podcast that you've been wanting to focus on. Or I hope whatever. you're careful when you're walking on the road, Jimmy. Uh, of course I am. I know you're listening to my podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was the best bit. You were saying, I walk on roads. And people say, you walk on roads? Don't you know there are cars on the roads? <laughs> you walk at night. I hope you have a, I hope you have a reflective clothing and a, and a headlamp. You're like, I, I know.
2: Yeah. I will, literally, I will walk. I will walk four miles. And I will see one car in that four mile walk, and that's four mile walks like an yeah. hour and a half walk. I will see one fucking car, <laughs> and that's it. And people think like, oh, you should walk during the day when it's yeah. safer. I'm like, I walk during the day. I'll, I'll four hundred cars will pass me in the day. In the evening after midnight, one car. So it's safer to walk at night. The only thing I do worry about is, is animals. The other night I was it was crazy. I was walking and. You hear coyotes. You, you know what it's like. If you hear yeah. coyotes. You hear the coyotes like tearing apart something. It's crazy. It's like the devils, it's like 50 devils dancing in the woods. And I have hundreds of like raw acreage around me. And you hear these fucking things. Your hair stands up on your neck. It's like the werewolves coming to get you. But the this one particular night about a month ago, I was walking and I was like, holy shit, that's like 100 yards away from me. Which in this world, it's like right there. Right. I was like, "What if I get attacked and eaten by a pack of fucking coyotes? That would suck." So that would suck. I carry, <laughs> I mean, I... I carry bear spray with me most often. Is that, does, that ha- does that happen? A coyote attack? Something that happened in New York? I don't know, but they're killing something and eating it because,
1: <laughs> because these goddamn coyotes. I, see, here. my fear is my fear is, and this no is one's on, feeding
2: my, them fucking dog food.
1: My fear is that my dogs are going to find like a, a porcupine. I'm not prepared for that. Yeah, I'm not prepared for like. Well, the skunk we've dealt we've dealt with the skunk. Yeah, but like I, you see these videos of like dogs like walking back from being like with just like pins <laughs> in their face. And I <laughs> yes. that's that is my to me that is my <laughs> yeah. worst nightmare. The dog's gonna walk back with like quills all over. Oh, him, and I'm just yeah, gonna have to like yeah. take well, them Well do, do you
2: let your dogs run free? I don't. Um, no, we, you know why? Because
1: what one, one thing I is don't. is one thing is in the the town that I'm in we we have a lot of people who think that they're dogs off the leash they're genius dogs and they're not and and no. one of my bigger dogs is, is turned into a mental patient because she was attacked a few times when she was a puppy by dogs off the leash. So I don't do dogs off the leash. I, f- I, feel, like, I feel like it's an imposition a lot of times. I feel like it's like, I gonna, can I get in your car and smoke? No. Right. So don't you know, I don't want your dogs interfering with my life. Well, so I don't where interfere we are, with any people's I,
2: I have 40 acres. So And you hope the dog knows where the 40 acres begins and ends. But I personally don't. But my ex who has we share the the big dog is really her dog but occasionally I have him when I'm babysitting him and I don't let him off the leash she does and he runs into the woods after a deer it's gone for I don't 20 like minutes it. and then my heart is like I hope this isn't the fucking end and then eventually he comes back but if he just runs into the woods and you're like that's it he's gonna get hit by a pack of coyotes or he's gonna get fucking stepping up you know he's gonna get stuck in a barbed wire fence from the 1920s Ugh, no you know, no you no, don't no. Know. if you don't
1: mind me asking do you have to share custody with the
2: dog Oh, we do. I mean, Taylor and I w- were civil. We, you know, w- it was it was an amicable split. And I have my little dog who was my 50th birthday. That's Chippy. And we got as a rescue Pepper. So Chippy and Pepper are about five-pound dogs. And uh, they're always together. Like, she's always like, do you want Chippy? I'm like, I'd rather Chippy and Pepper because when I'm not around, they're with each other. You know, they're like twins. And, uh, and then Bear is her dog. So f- for Christmas, she's like, do you want the dogs? I said, I'll just take the babies, the little ones. So I'll get them at one point this week for Christmas, and I'll bring them to my mom and dad's house. So uh-huh. we do share custody. And then, like, you know, like, honestly, if she has to go out of town or if I have to go out of town, you know, let me take the dogs. It's like don't ever – we don't have to ever board them, you know. That's nice. You know, we're never going to go away together anymore. So it's like if you got to go out of town, I'll take the dogs. If i got to go out of town, you'll take the dogs. So that,
1: That's that's really, really nice.
2: Well, you know, we're, we are try to be adults about the whole situation. You're a nice guy. I try to be.
1: I, I, if it were me – keep the dogs i would i would, I would be a, a i would be an angry guy not i don't know your situation but i would be like yeah i don't want your, i don't want these i've lost interest in having to deal with these dogs
2: well you know i said it on my podcast a couple of weeks ago i don't know if you heard that episode where i talked about ego and you know it's so important to like really keep your ego in check because your ego can get you in so much fucking trouble you, know, you say something you don't, you, you don't really mean, and you regret. Or you know, you act a certain way, and, and you know, in a breakup like this, there's a lot of ego involved for her, right. and for me. And you right. gotta be careful. You don't want to fucking say something stupid that you've already haven't said already. That's stupid. You know. at well, this point,
1: my kid just got into college first choice with a giant merit scholarship so my kid and i are our, our ego and arrogance are through the roof <laughs> i'm telling you i'm not apologizing at all am i was talking to my kid and and i said i said you've got to be feeling pretty good about yourself because yeah i'm feeling pretty good about myself it's and good. i you said to her you. i said i said to her i said to her i'm like i bet you got the fuckets right now she's like yeah got the fuckets. i said well all right listen i understand you're in your you're ready for college you're gonna go out to california i got you just don't tank your grades. Just do, You can't tank your grades. But I understand everything else. And I'm walking around being like, you know what? I'm a pretty fucking good father. My arrogance <laughs> is through the roof right now. I you never gotta, thought it would be like this.
2: You got to be careful. Did you see that? There's a clip of Robert De Niro go to Isaac. Oh yeah, yeah. Never get yeah, too yeah. never get too comfortable. Never, yeah, yeah, never, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not com- but
1: this is just right now. Right yeah. now it's like it's Okay. now nah, right now, it's just like a it's like un a little bit unnecessary. I mean, I'm not like <laughs> buying things, but I'm like but I mean, I'm just like you Don't know feel like Don't buy nothing.
2: Don't buy nothing. About to-
1: I'm about to start a third podcast about how to be a parent. I'm like, I'm a, that's how arrogant I've gotten. But that look, what are you going to do? Listen, this is Christmas time. This is New Year's. I'm excited to know what's next for Jimmy Doresta in 2023.
2: Oof, uh, you know, it's constantly at my age. I got to constantly keep making sure I reinvent myself. Uh, It's tough. It's really tough. You know, YouTube, the the ratings have dripped considerably, have dipped considerably. And you know, I got lucky this week, I got a couple hundred thousand view video, maybe I broke 300,000 views by now, which is, which is very few and far between for me these days. But I just keep, I just keep trudging through the snow, trying to make new videos. And because I believe content is really important just making consistent content. Cause yeah. I've been able to license content to this old house channel and some other channels. And then, you know, my content now is getting remutated out for TikTok and for Facebook pages and for reels and shorts and you know, all that stuff. It just adds to the base, you know, it adds to the bottom line and, so I just, I believe it's important to continue to make content. I want to do a couple of more bigger projects this year, like I did the boat. The boat in, in 2023, I'm going to do the second part two of the boat, which is me building the interior of the up the upper, because right now I'm working on the outside of the hull. I've got to work on the inside of the boat. So that's a little bit more complicated woodwork. Uh, I want to do some more car restoration this year. We're pitching several TV shows. If we're not going to do a season two of Making Fun, there might be a couple of other episodes of something else that we're working on. Every single time I have a meeting with a production company, they're like, what does Jimmy DiResto want to do? And I say the same answer, but it never happens. I go, I want to do what Anthony Bourdain did, but for makers. I want to meet makers that don't have social media. I want to meet makers that are dying, never used a computer. I want to meet makers that have a traditional craft that they've been working at for years, maybe the second, third generation. They don't give a shit about social media, YouTube, Instagram. I want to meet those people and bring a camera, let me do what they can do. Because I could be the host and I could also do the task. And they go, that's a great idea. Would you like to do a show where you make shit for kids? I'm like, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> so every time I have a meeting, that's the meeting I always pitch, the idea I always pitch. And then they're like, do you want to make medieval weapons? I'm like, I guess I'll do that while I'm waiting for my Anthony Bourdain show to come through. Right. So well. who knows? Who knows what the hell is going to happen? I just got to keep an open mind and you know, just uh, keep coming up with shit to pay for the farm. I want to finish my barn. I'm working on a second barn in the backyard. And, you know, that shit's expensive. That make shit's p- expensive, ladies and gentlemen. I'm uh, making a pool table. A, a real pool, pool table. table. With Blatt's Billiards. You're in New York. You know who oh Blatt's-
1: yeah, Blatt's Billiards. I had to go down to Blatt's, one of my first jobs, I had to make a pool table lamp. Oh, and I and they sent me down to Blatt's, Blatt's Billiards to talk to them about what you're looking for in terms of a light lighting. It oh, was yeah. very interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm working directly with them. They're doing all the consulting on the shape size and and scale and you know the professionalism of the table and they're going to do the the felt they provided the slate i have it all here in my shop so i'm making the wooden frame part and that's also a collaboration with with type on glue wow so, yeah, it's fun. jimmy
1: DeResta, ladies and gentlemen thank christmas you. with jimmy thank you thank you i wish you a wonderful holiday thank you i bud. wish you the healthy happy and prosperous new year
2: thank you very much and i appreciate you being here that's it, brother. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, dude, you owe open, open invitation, open invitation. Listen, if you ever want to break the news, to, I'm going to get a call from Derek from Alden. He's going to want to know. <laughs> Derek what, will
2: call you first.
1: <laughs> he's going to call me first to say, "What did you say when we turn the recorder off? Make sure, that, maybe, sure there's an, another episode coming of this TV
2: show." So we'll fine. We'll see what happens.
1: We'll see what, what happens. happens, guys. Listen Strange to me. Shit has happened. Stranger shits happen, ladies and gentlemen. I want to listen. I want to tell the listeners of the podcast. I want to wish you all a healthy, happy, and prosperous new year. I am taking next week off because oh. that's just the way it is. I'm taking one week off. The first week off, I've taken off. I'm taking it off, ladies and catch gentlemen. Catch up
2: on all my podcasts. I'm going to be.
1: I'm going to listen to Fitzall. I want to hear more with you and Air, uh, Andrew Alexander. I had him on a couple times. He's a pistol. Got to have him on again. Yeah. And we have a. We got a lot of good shows coming up. For 2023, I'm with you guys. I thank you to our sponsors: Broadbeck Ironworks, Even Heat, Maritime Knife Supply, Trojan Horse Forge, Total Boat. Who did I forget? Uh, Ax Wax. Don't forget them. I'm with you guys. I really appreciate the kind words, listening to you, and being able to play. I'm. You have no idea what it means to me that this is playing in your shop or when you're on your car ride home. I understand the the value of of, of keeping you company, and I want to appreciate every. I want you to know. I appreciate you, the listener, and I really appreciate everything you guys have done for me. Not to mention, I must thank Craig Lockwood, who's been doing all the editing for me, all the posts. He is just mm. one of my close friends. Mm-hmm. I love Craig, and on uh, Marek on Knife Talk, we yeah. still have such a good time. And, and Craig, yeah. you've been unbelievable, and I want to thank you very, very much for Craig everything. Go
2: get Craig to make your
1: we gotta get. I mean, listen. He's got three kids. He's got a fucking house. He's got dogs. He's got. It's like it's not easy. He's in the middle of France. It ain't easy for him to go to the to the, uh, to we'll, the we'll Irish make, Alps. We'll,
2: we'll do Maker Camp in France.
1: That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do Maker Camp in in France at Craig's house. Okay. All right, guys. Happy New Year. We will see you in a couple weeks with a brand new show. Happy, healthy, two thousand twenty three. I'm with you. Thanks again, Jimmy. Peace
2: and love. Peace and love.
1: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers.